1: No commercials, no subscription, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome to another edition of BOA The Revival. We're bringing back a friend of the program here tonight on the show, uh, as it's been a while since he was on the show. We had him on during the Banal America Summer of Strangeness back in August of 2020, which is just a scary long time ago now um it feels like just yesterday and you know, at the same time it feels like it was really really long time ago so uh you know so it's it's been a while and i you know we did a lot of awesome interviews sort of in the interim when we kind of stopped Ben all of america as a regular show although the summer was changing so it was pretty regular it was weekly but but it's like i i feel like some of these folks fell through the cracks a little bit so i want to get uh some of some of them back here on the show in the revival so they can kind of be a part of even the greater collective, if you will, uh, for Banal of America. And and so our guest tonight is Dr. Edward Guimont. Did I get that right? Perfect. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Um, and he was on back in August, as I said. He's uh, a history professor at Bristol Community College in uh, Fall River, Mass., right? And you got That's your doctorate yep. down in Connecticut. Um and he's a he's a he's a doctor, folks. He's a bona fide uh, historian who has an interest. is kind of what was like. Oh shit! I got to get Ed back on the show because uh, a few weeks ago he announced that he was he's writing a book, a flat a book on the flat Earth, um, on the flat Earth theory. So not like not like to prove the flat Earth. He's not a flat earther, but he and I share an interest. We're like of the few handful of people who. <laughs> <laughs> who, who have this this strange interest in um, in the flat Earth and the people of flat Earth and how this crazy idea has developed over the years? Uh, so I was like, oh shit, we, we got to get him on to talk flat Earth. And he's uh, I, I I don't want to like pigeonhole you into different stuff, but he's like kind of a cryptozoologist in a way, an academic cryptozoologist. He's looked at a lot of cryptozoology aspects that are really strange. We're going to get into the megalodon as a as a sort of um I think it I think as a cryptid essentially. And and we're going to get uh we may get into the um we talked last time he was on the show about the woolly mammoth and how like in America before people were looking for Bigfoot out out west, they were looking for the woolly mammoth. So it's like a very interesting dichotomy there. There's a symmetry in a way where it's like, "Wait a minute, maybe maybe we're just playing the same Games over and over again here with these with these uh, imagined creatures. So, with all that said, uh, it's going to be kind of a jam session tonight, which I'm really looking forward to. We're pretty pretty much, you know, we're not just, we're not going through the finer details of anything in particular. We're just going to rock and roll and, and dig into uh, the flat Earth and cryptozoology and all that fun stuff here with Doctor Robert Guillaume. Welcome back to the show, Ed.
2: Thanks. It's great to be back. And yeah, I was just thinking it really does feel like both a lifetime ago and not too long ago that I was last on, but it's just been, yeah, it's been it's been a, a busy last four years, I think, for us and the world in general. So lots happened, uh, a lot to discuss. Uh, and yeah, it's like, as you, know, you mentioned, uh, a few, a few weeks ago now, a few months or month ago now, I guess, uh, I have formally signed the contract, uh, with my book, uh, the title, uh, has, uh, title is not my idea. I, I had, my idea was call it flat earth, the global history. I, for oh, some I reason like the that. publisher didn't like that. Uh, so the, the official title, which probably will be out in late 2025, early 2026, the power of the flat earth idea coming out from, a uh, uh, Paul McMillan as part of their, uh, history of uh, Paul Grave history of science and technology series. I'll say one of the editors of that series, uh, a guy named John Langdon is the former chief historian of NASA. He's very oh, wow. excited to publish this. So it's not every day you get, you know, the the former chief historian of NASA excited to publish uh, work on the flat Earth. Uh, I'm sure a lot of flat Earthers will have a lot of uh, interesting things to say about the NASA connection there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm very <laughs> excited to talk about that.
1: <laughs> well, one of the things, and I don't recall how much... If we reach our old ground, that's, that's fine with me. I apologize to anyone who's listening. No, no, was I'm like happy a, no, Yeah. <laughs> I was like a super <laughs> fan who might be like, we already heard this line of discussion. But one of the things that interested me, which I think you'll find, uh, you, you can probably relax in a sense, because the Flat Earthers probably aren't going to, aren't, aren't going to come after you too hard, because they seem to have like no interest in the history of the Flat Earth. Uh, when I went to the Flat Earth convention, I talked to, you know, Probably close to a hundred people uh, over the course of the weekend. Only one person had any knowledge or interest of the evolution or how this started, or or any of the characters from over the years. And it was like, what, you got, and they all, almost to a man or to a woman, was like, I don't really care about this modern stuff. I don't, I, I'm not interested in the old, old style flat Earth. It's like, it's the same thing, dude. This we're not talking UFOs here. That like this thing evolves or whatever. It's like, it's the same fucking earth man like you should you should have some appreciation and understanding that this thing's like 150 plus years old now
2: yeah it is very interesting looking through the historical record and seeing you know as i'm sure you know it from the context of the listeners it's really mid 1800s in the uk when kind of modern flat earthism as a movement takes off uh, and up until you know kind of late 90s early 2000s ish when that 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 kind of the wave before the modern wave tapers off they were very cognizant of the history you see a lot of them bringing up the same arguments, the same publications there's a sort of even kind of archival continuity with the various societies that have been uh you know sustaining this and carrying it through with the new social media you know, wave you know, youtube facebook, everything from the Know, 2010s on, it does seem very disconnected and a lot of almost like you no know, reinventing the wheel of the discovery. I think you'll see a few callbacks to Robotham's work, uh, kind of like, you no know, the the grandfather of it all, but yeah, very yeah. little knowledge of anything subsequently. I mean, it's almost like they're going back you know, to the Old Testament of flat Earth base, you know, going yeah. back to the book of Genesis and kind of ignoring all the subsequent chapters. And I think there's, there's probably some wider trends with it. I mean, I think, and I'm not as well versed in this, but I think a lot of the modern, like you know, UFO or UAP, however you want to call it, a lot of the very modern cryptozoology crowds that have started to emerge. I think they similarly kind of lack that, for for lack of a better term, the institutional knowledge, the history of their own movements. I think you see a lot of things springing up just around, you know, the very recent social media that's all about, you know being surprised at these theories that, you know, if you look 50, 70, 100 years ago, were common back then.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's very, it's weird. It's certainly weird. It's a, definitely a modern phenomenon. I've seen it with the UFO crowd, too, where it's like, or the UAP crowd, as I call them now, <laughs> these sort of new generation of people where they're like, oh, my God, I just heard about how there's UFOs. They flew over a nuclear base like in nineteen sixty eight. And it's like, yeah, man, if you are like everybody who's been in this <laughs> up yep, until twenty seventeen yep. is aware of the Malmstrom case, dude, but they're like, This is this is news to me. It's like, Oh Jesus, man, we're gonna have to <laughs> go all over go over all this again with everybody. But yeah, it is interesting. They do throw it back that was the impression I got at the Flat Earth Convention. They they rely heavily on the biblical aspect of it and it seems like their only real hook with the classic culture of flat earthism is uh the 100 proofs concept the yep. the sort of like overwhelm the audience with <laughs> um with evidence quote unquote for the flat earth like to the point that they kind of just give up and either rather <laughs> run away or yep. join the movement <laughs>
2: That's yeah, the the one hundred proofs. It is funny that is like the that's like the one text that keeps coming back again and again. But the the evangelical Christian, you know, kind of biblical fundamentalist interpretation. That's something that really I think has been you know back to the basics. And I think I think you can see this as kind of a wider aspect of conspiracy culture in general. I mean, you know, QAnon very key with the evangelical Christian fundamentalism. Know, like uh, all the the various associated spin-offs with that you see at least you know allegedly a lot of people in the air Force which at least from the air Force academy which has a very strong evangelical christian uh, uh component to the officer training school there a lot of the UFO people in the air Force who come through the air Force academy are at least again according to reports you know convinced yeah. that aliens are demons actually so I think you have we're we're in a moment of I think you know, religious revivalism of a, you know, maybe like another, not not to use a, a QAnon term, but, you know, the the original meaning, a great awakening moment in society. And I think it's perhaps a sign that so many conspiracy, you know, views are really heavily uh, reflecting this. But I remember even before we talked the first time, when I was first starting to really research, you know, get into a lot of the modern flat earth stuff. And I was reading, I uh, was at uh, Zen Garcia, Edward Hendry, a lot of the kind of, you know, uh people who started publishing kind of like the the modern tomes of uh flat earth belief in the early mid 2010s and really they'll bring up you know the 100 proofs but it's all you know old testament and you know strict interpretation of scripture and and surprisingly quite a lot of holocaust denial i mean i think it was zen garcia you know i was reading his book on the flat earth and kind of surprised that he has like multiple chapters on why the holocaust didn't happen which i think also maybe reflects uh, uh, certain predilections (laughs) of sections not not all but certain sections of uh the crowd i think
1: (laughs) wow that's see that's wild yeah because there was a guy, he's still around. He, like, does a show where he goes around to various uh, alternative conventions or whatever, gatherings. I'm sure you've seen it. I forget. It's called 22 Minutes or something like that. He had a YouTube channel. But, like, he inter- he went to the same Flat Earth convention I was at, and, like, he interviewed a bunch of people. And they're all, I mean, some of them I recognize. I'm like, oh, that's the guy I talked to there, people I like, <laughs> knew from the weekend. Then, then he found, like, one person who started getting into that kind of shit. It was like, whoa, wait a minute, dude. Like, these – they it, – it, it's – by by no means am I making excuses or anything for anybody, but it's like – I never got kind of that vibe, but maybe it is underneath because they had – they had Benjamin Owen there who is, like, notoriously yeah. just super – just beyond controversial when it comes to conspiracy theories of that ilk and others – and they thought he was like the greatest thing ever, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not even going to this dude's show. This is like, he's just the shit I've seen online. This guy makes my skin crawl. I don't want to be. And he's a comedian, like get the fuck yeah. out of here, you know? Because they were like wildly entertained by this guy, and they're like, you gotta, you gotta hear this this song, this like super homophobic song, and I'm like, why? Well, I don't. It's that's not funny. That's just that's just fucked up. Like, I don't I don't want to. And they're like, oh, he's so great. You got to come. You got to come. So it was like there's definitely a really. Askew a element to to that community that is kind of just under the surface. Uh, so, yeah, it's unsettling.
2: Yeah. And it's it is interesting to look one of the big arguments of my you know book and I look at a couple of kind of case studies throughout history in the U.S., caribbean united kingdom other parts of the world is that you look at the 19th century there's definitely i mean it's still very much this evangelical christian aspect uh very like fundamentalist protestant aspect of interpreting the bible to pick out flat earth verses but it's not entirely that even the the very religious ones are drawing from uh uh like uh i guess uh observational elements like the famous Bedford level experiment to try yeah, to, yeah. to provide scientific, quote, scientific backing, uh, like common sense arguments. Uh, there's actually uh, in Boston in the early 1900s, uh, this man, John Abizade, an immigrant from what is now Lebanon, back then it was part of the Ottoman Empire. He wrote a flat earth book where he starts by saying, you know, he's a Christian. He believes the Bible proves the earth is flat. But he's going to write an entirely secular, you know, work to try and, you know, quote convince, you know, non Christians of the Earth yeah. being flat. I feel you don't really find that similar aspect in modern flat earthers. And again, another I think interesting thing is that a lot of the flat earthers at the time are what we you know what we might today call like progressive or leftish, liberal in view. Uh, a lot of them, which really surprised me I was not expecting this going in like in Britain a lot of them are you know uh very strict opponents of the racial system in the South African colonies they're against the exploitation of uh, black subjects in the British Caribbean colonies you know they're pushing for women's rights uh, something that again I think a, a political orientation that you don't see as much in modern flat earthers in most, if no, not, right, right. maybe not even any of them. So it does seem that the modern movement, and I don't think this has happened with, you know, the very modern, but you can see this with some of the late 20th century ones also. There was something of, I think, a, a political shift that happened in flat earthers. I think that could be seen as something as, you know, a reaction to a, a broader counterculture, broader conspiracy uh uh, trends as well. But that was something that surprised me, that flat Earth advocacy had a, you know, a for lack of a better term, a, a progressive orientation as opposed to you know, like, the, the Holocaust denying you know, anti-gay right, right. uh, t- tone that many of them take today.
1: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So how long ago was this, like at the turn of the last century?
2: Yeah, late... 18, early 1900s, specifically with the uh, uh, called the Universal Zetetic Society, which was yeah. the big flat earth group in London, but had members across the British Empire uh, members, at least know some, at least some correspondents, at least don't know if they're uh, full members in the United States. Although uh, I have found that uh, the very first, at least as far as I can tell, the very first organized flat earth uh, organization Was in the United States, was a few years before the Zetetic Society in London, uh, the New York Zetetic Society based in New York City. But again, these are people who would be what we consider progressive in orientation. It was a number of uh, veterans of the Northern Army in the Civil War, a couple people who uh, were very strong advocates for uh, black education in the South after the end of the Civil War. And so again, you have these organizations in the late 1800s, a time when, you know, uh, Civil rights is not the most advanced in the United States, but taking today would be very cutting edge, uh, you know, positions in favor of this and kind of the the main figure at least of you know uh, or one of the main figures I look at this book uh, a former slave preacher uh, in uh, Richmond, Virginia after the end of Reconstruction, John Jasper, who again was without a doubt at least in the United States the leading flat earther for a generation. There's no question. He was the most prominent flat earth advocate. And again, he's a black man, a black man with no formal education, who was touring the south, touring the north. He had uh, like people from the north, people from as far away as Europe, coming to attend his church to listen to his flat earth sermons. Uh, and he was using this to organize uh, his constituency, organize the black community in Richmond to help build schools, fund schools in Richmond, four blacks after the end of the civil war. So again, this is a figure who his name will show up in a lot of the existing, you know, flat earth, uh, historiography, but he's not really given a lot of uh, attention. I think, you know, for example, uh, uh, in, uh, Christine Garwood's book, a uh, flat earth, the history of an infamous idea. You know, it's a, a very comprehensive history. I think yeah. he is in, I think literally two sentences of that book. And yeah. Own, Cause I don't remember someone, him in the yeah. book yeah, at all. And again, you know, this is a guy who, when you look through newspaper accounts, when you look through publications at the time, without a doubt, the most prominent. He was a nationally recognized figure, like even even full stop beyond flat Earth believers. Someone who's not given anywhere close to the attention he deserves. And so, again, you know, I, I'm not sure how many actual flat Earthers will be reading my book. Like my, my guess, probably not many. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> those who do, you know, might help. Uh, reclaim part of their lost history for them might help introduce uh this figure and again a figure who i found to be very fascinating the more i read about him uh, it's re- very uh uh intriguing biography very intriguing legacy he left behind also
1: yeah that's interesting it's interesting yeah yeah i remember you'd sent me some samples of the book one of the interesting stories that i had never heard before which apparently i guess they made a movie about like not necessarily this aspect of the story, but the, 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 when I get to this, you'll understand what I'm saying. But the story is, um, apparently, like, this makes perfect sense to me, but I never thought about it. But before they had planes and shit, to go up in a balloon was, that was like the peak of, of, uh, air travel, right? And air science. So there was, uh, two people who went up. They hit like the highest peak point ever up in the air. You'll know what. You'll know the story. <laughs> Apparently, they made a movie called The Aeronauts. Yes. That was yeah. like, yeah, somehow connected to this story. Um, I I read the story in the book and in, in, in the in the sample chapters you, in the sample chapters you sent, and I was like completely blown away by this thing. I had never heard this story before, but these folks were like considered the equivalent of like astronauts in the, uh, you know, I, I when oh, was yeah. this?
2: This would be a uh, 1860s. I think. I think yeah. the, the the man's name James Glacier. He had a, a co-pilot whose name I'm forgetting, but a Glacier. Arm, yeah, yeah. It's uh. But again, I feel bad for him because he was left out of the movie. Also, they just focus on right, Glacier. Yeah. But of course. So but, uh, yeah,
1: recount this story because it it blew my mind. Uh, because it's so quaint and also like just <laughs> such a glimpse into the into the way things were back then. It's a stunning look at life like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is the period when there's, you know, first, you know, the first balloon is I think 1783 in Paris, and the technology begins to be uh, developed further and further. They develop, uh, you know, coal gas as they called it to uh, lift balloons up. So you get the ability, the technical ability of balloons to hold human occupants, to hold equipment. Uh, this is the period when they're starting to be curious about trying to predict the weather more accurately the scientific conquest of nature and the industrial revolution and so uh the royal society in london the scientific society of the united kingdom uh they you know, sponsor the uh creation of these balloons that bring uh, uh royal society members up into the upper atmosphere uh, this particular ascent uh uh, James Glacier and, and his co-pilot, they go further up than any human in history. I think if you, right. if you do the math, it's something like several miles. I mean, I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah. incredible that they're doing this with no equipment, no oxygen, uh, yeah, yes, not very the, much protective. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's that's very surprising my mind. <laughs> they're like
1: in like a little basket or whatever. They're in some kind of like you know maybe it was sealed up or whatever at least, but they're in some little.
2: Yeah, a fucking it's
1: thing a...
2: in the 1860s. It's not. <laughs> and, and again, like much, this is again a hundred years before you know the space race has very similar elements. So there are uh, you know, aeronauts in Paris. Also, you know, Britain again is you know, looking at this as their you know claim to being a leading technological power, especially over the French, you know, Napoleon's defeat is still in no living memory. So you have these, you know, scientists are being hailed as, you know, the, the leading pioneers. Uh, this is the same time that you have people trying to, you know, cross the uh, Sahara Desert, cross the uh, Arctic Ocean. And so, you know, similar, uh, uh, you know, astronautic pioneers, you know, uh, to all of these. But when he's up in these, you know, miles up, you know, he's re- making sketches of the, you uh, uh, ground he sees below and, you know, he records as looking like a flat line. So you have the flat earthers of their day being really, uh, you know, be- paying very much attention to these scientific publications that are coming yeah. out, using them you know, as evidence uh, uh, and, you know, trying to determine uh, that, you know, this proves that even though the leading scientists of their day show that the earth is flat. And again, uh, you know, There are, even today, there are astronauts with some interesting uh, uh, ideas. uh, Several of the Apollo astronauts who walked on the moon became, uh, not flat Earthers, but young Earth creationists afterwards. Uh, You have, uh, I think it's James Irwin, who was on Apollo 16, tried to locate Noah's Ark several times. So uh, there's another, uh, I think, Edgar Mitchell... tried to do psychic experiments. Yeah, uh, he was into all kinds of stuff, yeah. Yeah, and and he's a big UFO advocate also. I mean, uh, Neil Armstrong got tricked by Eric Von Daniken to try and find, like, some ancient alien library in Ecuador. So, you know, (laughs) astronauts have a lot of, there's a lot of overlap with, uh, we'll we'll say, interesting ideas. But these aeronauts in the 1860s, the astronauts of their time, they're publishing in the leading scientific journals in, uh, uh, Britain and France and the United States; these are all being taken into account of, uh, uh, you know, to prove that the Earth is at least allegedly flat. In uh, in uh, the New York Zetetic Society as well, there's a, you know, they're the organizer of that group. He's trying to sponsor his own balloon launches to you know, try and prove that the Earth is flat by sending flat earthers up into the atmosphere. Again. Shades of, uh, you know, uh, Mike Hughes from right before the pandemic with his, everything is, you know, nothing is new. It's, it's all happened before. It's, uh, again, it's this cycle that just keeps happening. You have, uh, you know, flat earthers trying to, you know, chart voyages to the Antarctic again, something I think I'm surprised hasn't happened more, you know, in the current day, uh, uh, people, you know, they're, they're keeping in mind, uh, 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 the sound, uh, kind of the birth of oceanography is happening now too. The first attempts to chart the ocean floor—they're taking you know this into account, and a lot of others did too. I mean, this is the birth of people claiming that uh, the Mid-Atlantic Ridge that's being discovered is Atlantis. You have uh, the idea of you know uh, uh, what's it called, uh, like the the fountains of life or something that uh, are mentioned in the Book of Genesis. You find these deep uh, you know, crevasses in the ocean. People saying this seems to justify, you know, the book of Genesis with the deep ocean fountains from which the water of Earth, you know, stream out of. So, again, the cutting edge of science is being used to justify a lot of these uh, uh, esoteric ideas, we can say.
1: Absolutely. Now, hold on one second. I'm just going to I got a book recommendation. I meant to mention this to you before. Maybe I'll include this in the show right here. Lemuria. A True Story of a Fake Place by Justin McHenry. He's going to be on Binal America. We're dropping it tomorrow, but it's
2: – Oh, it's, excellent.
1: It is like the Christine Garwood book, but for Lemuria.
2: I have so that it, on my library. I'm, I'm going to be getting that soon. Uh, I, I listened to an interview with him on a different show not too long yeah. ago, but I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to read that, so can't wait to listen.
1: Um uh, well, I was thinking here as we were talking about these flat earthers, the modern flat earthers, comparison to the, uh, what would you call that, like mid mid eight, mid nineteenth century, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, flat yeah. earthers. Well, I I wonder if the influx of the Christian influence in, in the contemporary aspect, um, the sort of throwback to the Bible, is in a way brought about by, uh, the uh, maybe a subconscious sort of realization that science can't get the job done as far as proving that the earth is flat, like up until, uh, you know, we, up until the space race and up until we got off planet and then we could see the planet obviously confirm beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's round. Um, Up until then, I think there might've been still some hope that they were like, no, we're going to find the scientific loophole that's going to show that they're wrong and that'll explain all the why all their calculations are wrong and yada, yada, yada. You almost see it in, in the, the Netflix movie there where the, uh, the guy, he's, he passed away, but the guy who, uh, you know, he harnessed the experiment, spent all this money on the experiment. And the guy like takes him aside at the party. He's like, look at it, it. showed the earth's round, dude. And he's like, don't fucking ever <laughs> tell anyone what you just told me. Um, <laughs> that's a great movie, folks. Um, so I do wonder if, like, sort of the uh, the idea, in a sense, has to lean more on the Christian uh, biblical aspect of it, because, quite frankly, like the science, they just can't hold up whatsoever.
2: I mean, I think that's true with a lot of conspiracy, and not even just conspiracy theories. I think that that's, that's an explanation for a lot of the, I guess, religious revivalism we're seeing today. You know, there's a sense that the, the modern world, for whatever. However, you want to interpret that has failed, and a key aspect of you know modernity is you know science, and I think unfairly you know there's been this positioning of science as being an opponent of religion, which if you look for most of history has not really been the case. Again, like even in the Middle Ages, you know the the church and in the Muslim world, the Muslim authorities these are the driving you know the foundations of modern science i mean with occasionally galileo something like that comes along that there is a conflict but i think there is this sense that science and religion are extremely at odds and therefore you know if the mo- science is the basis for the modern world people are feeling discontented with the modern world for a number of reasons but yeah. science kind of gets tossed out you know with the bathwater and that and i think also there's been a you know uh this you know, notion, you know, if science and religion is, uh, you know, are are at odds, you have to attack science to be, you know, a good you know, religious figure. I think right. you see that with yeah, a lot. Yeah. It's not so much like uh, uh, attacking it because of any specific issue, but also attacking it with uh, uh, just to prove your religiosity. Uh, one thing that does interest me, and I had a student uh, a couple of years ago who did a research project on this is on uh, not he, would, he didn't look at. Uh, Flat Earthers specifically, but he looked at uh, young Earth creationists, uh, the Answers in Genesis people who built the, uh, you know, the Ark Encounter, uh, the Creation Museum in Kentucky. They have their own research journal. Uh, and he looked at how you know there's a need for a, uh, a creationist to kind of like take on the trappings of science, of a scientific journal. And again, there's a lot of creationists uh, who have, you know, scientific backgrounds, not biology, but a lot of engineers, a lot of physics, physicists, a lot of mathematicians who, for whatever reason, again, they they have some kind of scientific or technical expertise, but one that's not pertaining you know, to historical interpretation or biological interpretation. So right, they think right. you know, even if they're against science, there's a, a strong you know, uh, uh, desire to kind of emulate the trappings of science uh sharon hill uh you know a prominent skeptic a few years ago she published a very great book uh scientifical americans she calls this the process of being scientifical of trying to emulate the scientific method right, as right. much as you understand it even if you don't completely follow it and i think you see this with a lot of uh, uh again uh, not not to drag too many politics into this but a lot of the the <laughs> current uh Right-wing attacks on higher education in certain states in the U.S. These yeah, are people yeah, yeah. who, you know, are make careers about, you know, attacking Ivy League institutions, even though, you know, they've gone to Yale Law School or Harvard Law. <laughs> yeah, School. yeah, right, they, right. they want the trappings, you know, they want the respect of academia as, as they perceive it, the social standing, uh, while, you know, also being highly against it as, you know, an institution. I think there's some of that as well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that was that was I forget how we got into that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh, oh the yeah, they the, yeah, they, they they can't do it with science, essentially, is the is a big part of the thing. It, it, it's interesting. Well, you mentioned we're we'll gonna get into this a little bit, because you think that we we're at odds, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep a closer eye on this because I think that <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, we're on the down slope of this current flat earth peak. But maybe you see a little bit of bubbling up. Still, so it's still. It's, I agree that it's still kind of in the ether, in a sense. But it's. I. I feel like we're past. I've and <laughs> feel free to feel free to use this in the book. <laughs> okay. I find, <laughs> I find that there's a wave system, and people can't see it. I'm kind of moving my hand away. Where it comes up with Robotham, and then it, like it crests down. Then it keeps coming up, and I think we peaked. I think the wave peaked like in 2018, really. Um, and we will know, we'll know more as time goes by, we'll be able to really kind of pinpoint. And then now I think we're on the down um, which would explain why you still see, you still see some flat earth stuff, but it's like, I find that the, and each of the peaks follows the same kind of pattern where it's like bubbling, people are talking about it. And then like the media kind of is like, Hey, there are people who think the earth is flat or there are people who are talking about the flat earth. Um, as, as successive generations, because by then it was uh, the first time people were just like, "Hey, is this Earth? Is the Earth flat?" So, so <laughs> then it gets all this coverage, and kind of like, uh, then it gets shot down by the scientific experts. But like everybody in the zeitgeist sort of stops and ponders this idea, and sort of passes ju- judgment as a collective society, and they're like, "No, okay, all right, it's not, it's not flat." And then. A few people stick around, but then it kind of goes back down, and then a couple generations later, it comes back again, and the same pattern follows, where they're like, people kind of start talking, hey, have you heard about this flat earth thing? This is where it's at. you got to find out about this thing. And then it gets, and then all of a sudden, someone with with some coverage sort of picks it up, and they're like, hey, or or the flat earther of the generation, generally, this does kind of work hand in hand. They they're kind of super zealot of the thing. So there's always like one. You mentioned uh, the guy in America. There's always sort of one guy that's kind of carrying Robotham up to Mark Sargent. There's always sort of one guy who emerges from from the flat from the flat ether and <laughs> let's call it and becomes the guy who who like carries the idea. But I think that that like like I said, you can follow the cyclical pattern, and within that cycle are the cycles of like discovery repudiation, and then just kind of like fizzle out. But it's like it, it it goes the same way over and over again. So I think we've already reached a point. Everybody has heard about the – everybody has had that moment now in this recent period to sort of ponder the flat earth. So everyone's kind of – it's not new to anyone at this point. It's sort of over uh, – over, it's been done in a sense. So that's why I think we're on the back end of the crest.
2: I, I mean, I would, I mean, I agree. definitely, it's much less than it was even a few years ago. And obviously, even by the start of the pandemic, I think it was on the downturn, but yeah. I think the pandemic, obviously, a, a big killing blow. I mean, for, for a lot of conspiracy, just collapsing everything. And I, again, this is purely anecdotally on my part. I haven't done any, you know, attempts, yeah. any kind of quantifiable analysis of this. Not even sure how you would be able to do that. I do think I've noticed just on my own observation, maybe a small uptick. I do wonder if that's, you know, not so many, not not so much, uh, maybe you know, new flat earthers coming in. I think it may just be a case of maybe you know, some place like Facebook, you know, uh, YouTube that had been coming down hard on a lot of conspiracy stuff are lightening up a little bit. Uh, I'll I also give you what be, I you know,
1: think. Check. Oh, sure.
2: Check. Absolutely. I think that's a, if
1: if, if we if we see a little sort of mini resurgence, that's got to be it because like that thing has gotten so huge and so bad with like shitty ideas. Um, I don't even go on there because it's maddening because the i like the, the the it's they're just forty five seconds like hey check this out and it's like completely wrong or complete fucking bullshit or a complete lie and it's like then you look and it's like. Seven hundred thousand people watch that little thirty-second video, and it's like I get—I've lost all hope for fucking I've TikTok. Lost, lost seems hope. to be
2: that—that that seems to be the incubator, incubator, incubator. Sorry for so yes. many. It's not even just conspiracy. Just, I think like paranormals, like crystals stuff. Like I know, like for a time, like a few, like maybe a year ago, there were people obsessed with the idea that you know, like cities were actually some kind of like you know spiritual battery like just something that came like almost like straight from tron you know but but again i yeah. think tiktok also it's the if so many of the people on there so many of the audience are you know like 18 year olds where they have no connection also there's any crazy idea that you know right yeah. just, I, I think tiktok is a big again i, I don't use the, My wife has it. She may just look, you know, cooking stuff, but she came across some ancient alien thing on there. She showed it to me just because she knows knows I'm a freak like that. So she showed it to me. Then for days later, just nothing but ancient aliens. I mean, I think everything bad that people talk about, you know, the algorithm on other sites, TikTok seems to be, and again, even like in terms of, relatively modern conspiracy theories you know you had the original pizzagate in like 2016 i know at least twice since then on tiktok people have like brought back pizzagate independently yeah, of yeah. just like people finding like like 15 year olds finding pizzagate talking about it like it's new it's not even just you know bring back QAnon or reviving it it's been the original pizzagate that's a just and you know like uh that and that's become a huge thing recently now too. Uh, Now I will say one thing I have noticed that's been curious is I've noticed a few kind of higher, like we'll we'll say like Republican, Republican adjacent figures who have kind of, you know, at least endorsed Flat Earth views relatively recently. I know Tucker Carlson came out saying he was open to the idea of uh, Flat Earth recently. I I think this might be something akin to, uh, you know, it's like Something they don't necessarily believe in. I mean, I I have a hard time thinking Tucker Carlson for whatever you may think. of him. I have a hard time thinking of him as believing flat Earth, but again, I think this may show that it's becoming this kind of culture war signifier where you, know, yeah, you, you throw yeah. a bone to someone, and say, yeah, sure, flat Earth. You know, it's their Fan way service. of saying exactly, and you know, trying to in a, the same way. You know, you have like all the the QAnon fishing stuff with the Trump uh, uh, campaigners and everything. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, you know, I'm sure all of them know it's not uh, Trump that is not leaving you know, like a, a secret crusade of like uh, deep state uh like <laughs> activists or whatever, but you know it's, it's useful and you got to throw the the you know the base uh, bone and appease yeah. them. So you know, my my sense is maybe flat earth is getting more higher. You no, know, people are able to I think it's at the stage where the, at least some people on the on the fringe again, I don't think mainstream Republicans, however you want to define that, are going to start talking about flat Earth. But I think a certain, you know, edge of the Republican Party may see this as kind of a a political signifier that they're willing to throw a bone to. And as a result, I think that's going to lead to some more, uh, uh, not not mainstream. I think it's going to be more acceptable to kind of start questioning these things. And uh, again, I think that's also tied with this, uh, you know, highly evangelical turn in in politics and culture. I think you know they're the reflections of each other. Uh, Although I I do know there are uh, at least some young earth creationists very against flat earth because they think it is giving a bad name to evangelical Christians. You see a lot of this kind of interesting infighting, or I know that uh, there's a a strain of, I think if uh, flat earth tends to be mainly a kind of like evangelical Protestantism, I think a lot of the uh, like kind of the, the quote, like traditional geocentrism, there's a certain kind of like hardcore Catholicism, like all the, the trad caths that are around now. So it does seem like, you know, the pro if you're a Protestant and you're in this edge, you might lean towards flat earth. If you're a Catholic, you might lean towards, you know, only quote geocentrism. And, you know, you (laughs) get kind of a, the, I know at least one flat earth conference had one of these debates between like a Catholic geocentrist and some of the, uh, uh, actual flat earth believers and hollow earth doesn't seem to be as big a deal. Yeah. It's not it's even, getting
1: the short end of the stick. Yeah. It's a great, great theory.
2: <laughs> Although I guess uh, there, there's one, uh, Aaron Rodgers, I guess he allegedly believes in the hollow earth along with quite a long laundry list. Of yeah, of I can like, believe. Yeah. yeah I he guess he's he, a
1: lot of strange things. Yeah. I
2: think he came to that through I, if reading between the lines. I think he read some David Icke and got kind of a lot of like, lizard people and hollow earth stuff from David Icke which again it's probably that. not too surprising that.
1: but <laughs> yeah yeah well it's yeah that's David Icke man what a character <laughs> um well i know uh, my origin story but how did you even get interested in all this i'm a i'm a i'm a maniac i'm a professional lunatic as the biography <laughs> says so like i can understand how i would stumble drunkenly into the world of flat earth but how did you how did you get interested in this flat earth thing in the first place as an academic
2: well it, it comes out of academia so my dissertation i'll say if, if anyone's interested you can find my dissertation online it's free to read it's up there uh, but it's on kind of a, a pseudo history pseudo archaeology in a colonial context uh, in southern africa there's a medieval city Great Zimbabwe in the country that is now called Zimbabwe. The country is named after the ancient or the medieval city. You know, when you have this period when uh you know Europeans first encounter the ruins of this city, they you know again, this is the mid 1800s, they can't conceive that you know Africans could build a giant city on their own. Obviously, that's completely impossible for africans to do even though africans did build it so they have to find other uh uh you know justify other explanations it's actually the arab muslims who are in the area tell them that king solomon and the lost tribes of israel built uh uh this city this coincides at the same time in what is now south africa you get the first dutch settlers there these dutch settlers are very evangelical christian very uh uh, fundamentalist in their view, they associate themselves with uh, 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 the they themselves associate themselves with you know the uh, Israelites in exile. They think that certain African tribes in the region are the lost tribes of Israel, and you know, therefore, you know, God has sent the new Israelites, aka the Dutch, there to live. But as oh, part boy. of this interpretation, so as I'm doing this research into like, what ultimately is a small part of my dissertation, but is kind of like Dutch fundamentalist Christian thought in the mid yeah. you know, 1800s, I come across that the leader of the Dutch settlement in South Africa, a guy named Paul Kruger was a flat earther. And this, com- this came up uh, just kind of, it's, it's mentioned in a throwaway bit. That was kind of the little seed that made me start looking into this more and more. Uh, again, you know, I mentioned that, uh, uh or you mentioned that I live in Fall River, Massachusetts, right next to Fall River is the town of Fairhaven. Uh in the late 1800s there's a sailor from Fairhaven, Joshua Slocum, the first man to sail around the world uh on his own. He goes to South Africa, he encounters Paul Kruger there. Uh he like there's several of uh, the Dutch clergy in South Africa try and beat him up cuz he's claiming he's sailing around the world they you know they oh, take they... <laughs> they say you can't sail around the world so he gets drawn up into this so again get this local figure here who you know, when i moved here i was able to do some research there uh, at some of the local museums I have some of his uh you know, papers and his family yeah, memorabilia yeah. there so again it's really out of this like very minor brief entry in uh, like the archive work i was doing for my dissertation that all of a sudden uh i was like oh this is very interesting flat earth And really that was around the time when kind of the modern flat earth movement was really taking right. off so i'm finding this reference in you know the archives at the same time i'm starting to hear you know a, a little bit i wasn't looking as much into it but i think this was around the time you know Kyrie irving was talking about believing was yeah, yeah, yeah. flat and so you know, it, it kind of stuck in the back of my mind when i finally finished my dissertation even by that point i was thinking OK, I think this is going to be the next project. And that was uh, about five years ago now. And so you know, gives you a sense of how long a lot of this yeah. uh, academic work takes. I mean, I I don't want to uh, uh, be, be too boastful. I do think this is maybe the most researched academic flat earth book. Uh, I mean, not that's yeah, there's well, a lot, but I think this may be the most uh, researched one.
1: Yeah, well, I was telling... Uh I was telling Ed before we got on the show that uh he sent me like four chapters and I he sent me them on Sunday afternoon, folks. So I get I have a I get a pass because it's like Tuesday night yeah. now, so and, and I have a job and shit. So uh but I, I was telling him before we started the show. I only really got through the first chapter because I was so engrossed in it. I'm like I was first I'm like, I'll just skim through these. Let me just start this first one. See, and I was just so engrossed. In, in what he's uncovered, and that first chapter that you sent was uh, – it'll be kind of like in the middle of the book, but it was uh, just the Americas kind of in general. Right. So that was uh, – that was has all kinds of stories that I had never heard before because the, the Garwood book, it's a fantastic book, but it seems like it does miss – because she's British, so I think that she understandably focused on the British um, – you know origins of the flat Earth theory and how it evolved over there, and there's like a whole story of American flat earthing or flat Earthism that <laughs> uh, that that you that you uncover in the book that I hadn't seen anywhere. So uh, when this gets out there, we're going to get you obviously back on the show when the book comes out. But uh, this is going to be one that people are going to want to pick up because it's fascinating. You've uncovered a lot of shit that uh, I had never looked at because or I'd never heard because I don't think anyone's ever. Gone back and been like, hey, let's take a look at what was going on with the flat Earth in the 1800s in America. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's and
2: this stuff is it's available in archives. Just, you know it's it's no one's really done. The, I mean, obviously, I mean, not blaming. I it's, this is a very niche topic, but
0: yeah, But uh, I mean, like you know,
2: it says there's there's little bits in p. Like I, I found a few little you know, details in the New York Historical Society. Uh, you know, next or uh, in a week or two, I'm going over to a. University of Massachusetts Amherst, where they have the papers of this, you know, very colorful individual from a early twentieth century Boston, uh R.N.F. Hill, where among many other things, he was like, uh, you know, I think he called himself an anarchist architect. Uh, He was a spiritualist. He wrote a few flat Earth pamphlets. Again, just sitting in this archive at UMass Amherst, I don't think anyone has looked through this probably since they. Went to the archive in the 1930s. So there's, wow. ro- there's a huge nice. span of stuff here that, you no, know, just, it, it's there, but it's, it's very difficult to find. And again, I, I don't think a lot, a lot of this is, not, I've been lucky to be able to, you know, try and do this slowly over the years. And I don't think there's a lot of uh, uh universities where they're going to be, you know, uh paying someone to do like, you know, research to go to, say, you know, there's stuff in the the British National Archives in London. Oh God, yeah. I would have yeah. loved to go no. through it. I'm <laughs> not able to. I'm not going to be able to get there and look through that. But I know for a fact there's a a Caribbean flat earther from uh, the island of Saint Lucia, John uh, Edward Quinlan, where because he worked for the British colonial government, a lot of his like stuff is in the British National Archives in London, so I know for a fact there's some probably very interesting stuff there. But saying, maybe, maybe for the sequel, I can get over yeah, there. But again, it's just yeah, it, yeah. yeah any uh, any advocacy is just you know it's or any uh, research on this. Actually, I'll say John Edward Quinlan himself, very interesting figure. For a time, he was the he, he himself was black. He's you know from uh, the Caribbean. He goes to the United Kingdom, I think in 1900, I think. Uh, For several years, he publishes the only uh, black-owned newspaper in the United Kingdom. He was a delegate to the first Pan-African Congress. Uh, I believe he created uh, – I've heard it – I've seen it listed somewhere that uh, he gives the first proposal for uh, – you know, financial reparations for slavery in the british empire uh, he is working with you know delegates from the haitian and ethiopian governments he uh, his is an, he's not a major figure but you see his name come in a lot of histories of the pan-african right, movement right. uh in the uk none of these you know pan-african histories mention that he was a flat earther that he was publishing flat earth you know uh documents that he was in this flat earth uh organization so again there are these cases where people are, you know, are mentioned, you know, some of these flat earthers exist in the historical record, but yeah. in context where uh, the actual flat earth element is not there.
1: Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you mentioned there's a few. Yeah. There's, uh, if you look back in the when I had Justin McHenry on, we were talking about Lemuria and the history of it and everything. And at one point, uh, I'm going to I'm going to mess up his name, but I think it's like Alfred Wallace Russell or something like that. The guy who. Yeah. uh. Did I get it right? I don't know. Yep,
2: the, yeah. the, oh, nice. So, <laughs> or, uh, Alfred Russell Wallace—it's one of those. One of those. Two, some uh, combination yeah. of those three, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: three things. So, um, but yeah, he he had some kind of like dalliance with Lemuria. Then, and I'm like, when I see that, and he and and Justin just casually kind of mentions it, and I think this is in like a lot of these types of books, where it's like. And he all and, and in his book he's like he also had a dalliance with the flat earth and I'm like wait a minute I'm <laughs> like that's I remember now he's the guy that got into the big feud with the other guy and was getting sued and harassed like forever and everything so there's a lot of people in the uh, 1860s who cross paths with the flat earth like that you wouldn't expect because it was a, it was sort of just bandied about and 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 you know People would weigh in on it and shit. And sometimes they would be kind of like what you're saying with the Tucker Carlson thing, in a sense, where they'd be like, I'm not going to dismiss it outright. But, you know, I I haven't taken a close enough look at it. You're like, wait a minute. I know that's someone, you know, I can't cite the book from what you said, but it's like people that are prominent people from that time. and You're like, wait a minute. What the what the fuck? Why, why, Why did Abe Lincoln say that?
0: But yeah. <laughs>
1: was, a, a. Lincoln didn't say that, but it was, you know, people, people on nearly of that level, but like scientists, yeah. prominent scientists, activists, things like that. It was like, wait a minute. Yeah. They, they were involved in the flat earth. That's crazy.
2: Well, and if you think that when people in the 1800s are talking about the earth being flat, I mean, this is a period when, you know, a few, few decades before flat earth really emerges, hollow earth was a very mainstream idea to the point that, you know, the US Congress is debating sending, you know, like, you know, ex- funding a military expedition to try and find the entry to the flat Earth and Antarctica. So, I mean, these ideas are why, you know, ideas like uh, phrenology, spiritualism. Yeah. These yeah. are very widespread ideas. I mean, you know, like, in you no know, 1860s US, you're going to find spiritualists everywhere, basically. Uh, you know, ideas. You, know, you mentioned the summoning ideas out of the ether. I mean, the ether, that, that's a prominent idea for, like, uh, decades. I mean, and it goes the other way too. Uh, uh, continental drift—that's considered not necess- maybe not necessarily a pseudoscience, but it's something that's you know the found, you know, so to speak, the bedrock of you know modern geology. Continental yeah, yeah. drift—that's not, con- no, that's not widely accepted until the 1960s. That's that's not long ago at all. The idea that you know the Earth could change shape—that's controversial. At the same time, the flat Earth is being debated. Again, you know we. The theory of evolution, obviously, you know, it's uh it maybe maybe even more controversial, you know, like in the early 20th century. Uh, and again, even then, you have people arguing that, you know, if you, you know uh, reject the theory of evolution, that's going to lead to flat Earth uh, acceptance. If you read a lot of the publications around the uh, Scopes Monkey Trial in the U.S. in 1925, a lot of the like people defending Scopes and defending evolution in the Monkey Trial, they're saying like uh like uh, Disbelief of evolution is the same as flat earthism. It's uh, exactly the same. Uh, and so, again, you have you know, not just a lot of ideas that were mainstream at the time that we now know are scientifically nonsense. A lot of ideas that are scientifically accepted now were very controversial at the time. So it's maybe not a, an entirely, again, the qualifier, because, again, you know, the ancient Greeks at Alexandria knew the world was a sphere. So, again, this is, you know, a, a fairly grounded idea, but it's even so, uh, you know, it's not as controversial. Maybe, you know, I, I talk a bit also about uh, the idea that meteorites are rocks from outer space. That's a controversial idea up until the mid-1800s. Again, like the same time that you have the aeronauts taking balloons into the upper yeah, atmosphere. Yeah. So something that, you know, no one's going to really challenge today. That This is an idea that's just uh, very know viewed with suspicion at best at least by parts of uh, uh, the scientific mainstream
1: this is a really interesting point yeah like not only were there bad ideas <laughs> floating around <laughs> like flat earth and phrenology but also there were good ideas that were correct that were kind of seen within this scale of, of, of you know controversy or um, ill repute or whatever, or, or sort of, I, I don't know what you'd call it like paranormal in a way, but sort of paranormal back then where it was like a alternative theory. on Right. Things. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, Oh, it turns out some of these alternative theories like that, the, that the continents move around and everything turns out that was right. And, uh, but, but, you know, phrenology is also not, not right. So <laughs> it's like exactly. yep. <laughs> yeah, the, the, as, as the science got more sophisticated, The correct ideas rose to the top and, and, you know, became solidified by science, I guess you could say, right?
2: Exactly. And I I, I, saying that, you know, flat earthers are non-scientific. I think it's not also not a hundred percent accurate because there is a sense that, uh, you know they use a lot of science in their writings the same with cryptozoologists the same with ufo believers it's just yeah. a lot of these science a lot of the scientific views they're using a lot of the scientific works they're referring to they are basically like, you know early 20th century at the latest they're using right. the documents they're using stuff so there is kind of a way in which at least in a certain sense the modern paranormal the modern uh alternative world so to speak this is basically just you know the continuation of the Victorian era, essentially just, you know, some elements of that Victorian scientific consensus just never went away. And we have a lot of these, you know, 1800s ideas that have just, you know, they're now, they're not mainstream, but they're the foundations for these alternative, uh, you know, beliefs. I mean, if you look at stuff in like, you know, uh, any like, you know, ghost hunter show or whatever, I mean, this is just, it's stuff that, you know, they would use, you know, different technology, but, Crooks tubes for trying to detect spirits that goes back to the 1860s, 1870s.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting like that. Ghost hunting, man. It's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now you let's pivot a little bit here to uh, actually, I want to just continue with something from kind of a thread that I let dangle when we were talking earlier about sort of the evolution where we're at today with a lot of this. I, I'm not sure how much we talked about this when you were on in August, but it, it seems to me that part of why I think that we're on the back end of this crisis because a lot of people, I think a lot of people peeled off of Flat Earth uh, when the pandemic happened. Because I think they got mixed up with QAnon and they got sort of just swept into pandemic conspiracy, which seems to have now been folded into general com- Far right, QAnon, under the same kind of umbrella of like, let's—I would call it like extremism, conspiracy, sort of this. Yeah. This very dark conspiracy. <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, I don't even know. I don't even know if it's really even been codified yet under one sort of. I think it, all people just lump it under QAnon, but it's like, well, someone may be super virulently anti-vaccine, but they, but they also might not be QAnon. But it's like, chances are, if they're QAnon, they're definitely fucking anti right. So it's it's a very uh, I think that's why uh, I, again I don't know if I made this joke with you but you're on before but made it with somebody else but it feels very much like they they peel off flat earth where they're like look I I live on a flat Earth man I've already since this is part of my worldview now I need to worry about what the fucking deep state is doing on my beloved flat Earth because it's not cool bro so I think that's where they just they, they haven't not they haven't given up on the flat Earth. But there's how much, how further can you go with flat Earth? I suppose I think that's part of why it runs out of steam all the time too. It's like how what, you you pitch the idea to the public, they summarily <laughs> reject it, and then it's like, well, then there's no <laughs> there's no there's nowhere else to go unless you become a flat Earth activist, and you know those are there's a handful of them out there, but you know they're they're not yeah. really winning any hearts and minds.
2: I mean, I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I think there are there have been studies of QAnon and, you know, of, but I think since the time when we first talked there have been a few good QAnon bo- books that have finally come out to look at at least the origins of the movement. And I think without a doubt, kind of like the existing flat earth, you know, strain and again, you know, looking at the timeline, QAnon really emerges in, uh, uh, late 27 i think october 2017 doesn't really start going mainstream in t- until uh, early 2018 when it kind of breaks like you know like the is it the 8chan or 4chan confinement when it yeah, originates yeah. but uh, again it's like it spreads a lot through early like pre-existing flat earth uh, uh spheres i think maybe even in particular i mean uh I think that's been a big thing. There's a lot of flat earthers who joined QAnon. You know, kind of had crossover. I know to the point, and it, and it's kind of it shows the power of some of these ideas. I think it's mid 2018 when Q himself, themselves, whoever Q is, didn't act like you no know, question and answer section. Uh, explicitly said that, uh, you know, the Earth is not flat. That's according to Q, and also that JFK Jr. is still not alive. Neither you know, even Q coming out against these things kind of wasn't enough to stem the tide, especially right, right. the JFK Jr. stuff. Uh, yeah, that's but, you know, wild. It was so that <laughs> Yeah, but crazy. Uh, and so again, like you see that there is something about you know, like flat Earth that was you know, so powerful that even flat Earthers become Q anon supporters, kind of maintain, like kind of like ignore that aspect of Q. Uh, I think there is, you know, again, like you said, I think there is something to the fact that you know, flat Earth can only take you so far. Like, you know, yeah. you don't have, you know, flat earthers, you know, organizing to storm, I don't know, the the Department of the Interior. Like, you, know, like, like you right. have a you know, UFO believer storming Area 51. You don't have flat earthers, you know, organizing, I don't know, like, trying to, you know, burn geography maps, like, you know. Yeah, as, or as petition the to...
1: government to send
2: exactly people
1: <laughs> to the edge to prove or disprove the thing. <laughs> it's like, they make no... They've made no effort at a disclosure movement. Let's be honest, these flat earthers—they—they—they they, they they seem more interested in just sort of awakening the public. How they keep now—they were buying billboards and things. It's like, if we clue more—I think that was the sort of idea—if we clue more people into flat Earth, they can't help but become part of the movement. And it's like, you try—you did, dude. Like we all saw the billboards. <laughs> We saw the like there was a guy who graffitied shit in in Scotland. There were like signs. Oh yeah, yep. In, <laughs> in, in Australia, it's like everybody has gotten the word about the about the flat Earth. We've looked at it and we're good. We're we're good with flat Earth, which is interesting in a way. It's kind of I laugh about it in a sense, but it's like because they always say we got to raise awareness about UFOs, but it's like finally in a way this thing kind of took the UFO thing. Finally, kind of took where people are like huh, let me give that a second thought. It's like, so it's kind of how the, an interesting that's occurred in the world of UFOs while the flat earther people were just trying to awaken everyone to the, just give it a chance, just look at it, research it. That was like their whole thing. And it's like, people did. It's not, (laughs) it's not flat, dude. Come on. And then at that point, what else can you do?
2: Yeah, there's not really a a call to action that you can, that you can do. And I I think it's also a, you know if you're convinced, that, you know the you know teachers are part of you know like the the plot to indoctrinate your kids with you know flat or like a, a globe Earth ideas. You're already yeah. going to be you know against teachers for a lot of other reasons. Right, you be right. against the public. So I think there. I think again, a lot of these activists, I'm sure, are flat Earthers or flat Earth questioners adjacent. But that's I think maybe not so much the uh, the the primary conspiracy identity there overlapping yeah, yeah. but i think there is kind of again i've noticed this more just kind of general QAnon. there's this this kind of uh overarching like conspiracy web that's been developing where you know it's just uh, if you believe in QAnon, of course you're gonna be an anti-vaxxer of course you're gonna be uh i don't know, like believing in pizza there's so much stuff that just kind of gets overlapped it, it feels like right, there's not right. necessarily you know isolated conspiracy views it's more they've all kind of like at least overlap to the point where, okay, right, if you believe right. one conspiracy, you're going to be willing to believe some other. So, maybe UFOs are a little Moon different hoax now. Would be a big one Exactly. Moon yeah.
1: hoax would be, like, one that's, like, easily entertained, where they're like, yeah. I don't rule that out for a second. It's like, all yeah. right, you know, and I don't, <laughs> now I sound like it, I don't necessarily rule it out either, but maybe some kind of even <laughs> more convoluted. I'm more of a fan of, like, they did it, but they had to cover it up because they didn't want us to know how they did it, or whatever. So, Walter Bosley, folks, check him out. He's, he's the one who kind of introduced me to this this theory. Based on – you'll like this, Edward. Based on the the premise that they couldn't fucking show it live in case things went completely haywire <laughs> and the guy burst into flames or whatever when he got out of the crowd. So it's like, look, we'll film it so we can – we'll film a sanitized version of this so we can uh, – you know, in case he bursts into flames or whatever. So, well, it, <laughs> I don't not, know. it's not, an interesting. That would make for a fantastic. That <laughs> would make for a great movie.
2: Well, not not to take this in a completely different direction, but you know, in like uh, former Soviet Union, Russia area, like there, there's kind of a, an equivalent to the Apollo uh, like hoaxes on their side. Uh, I think they call them, like the Phantom Cosmonauts, where there's this belief yeah. that you know, there's you know, dozens of you know cosmonauts that the Soviets sent up and died or like, no you know, like uh, that people, you know, picked oh, up like, radio yeah, yeah. transmissions again. You know, and this is fueled also by the attempts of, uh, you know, the Soviet state where they, they wouldn't necessarily, you know, like announce like a rocket launch until after it had happened. Cause yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Back, if the guy blows up then you're not going to want to report, although you know there are cases where cosmonauts did die, they were reported, but certainly, especially early on, there's a lot more of the, the secrecy there. I think that also is kind of a, a bit of a, uh, a cautionary tale where you know the soviets by trying to you know control the message so to speak led to a lot of these phantom cosmonaut conspiracies spreading i think there's something similar where you know if you know, I think there's a lot of well-meaning liberals. You know, I, I took the pot shots at the Republicans, and I'll, I'll take a few shots at the liberals <laughs> now to even it out. But you know, some well-meaning liberals who think, you know, like let's just you know ban everything about QAnon, like you know get uh, every conspiracy theory off, you know, ban everything from social media. A, I don't think that's possible. Again, we've we've seen it's not possible. You know, it's just they keep coming that, back, yeah. they find ways around. But I think even just the efforts to do that, you're not addressing like the core aspects of why people are going to be willing to believe these conspiracies, I think you're just going to add fuel to the fire, too. And so just just trying to, you know, stop anyone from talking about it comes from good intentions, but it's not going to really – it's going to make the problem worse in the long run, I think.
1: Yeah, deplatforming. It's like really – they'll just go underground, and then we won't know what they're saying, and that's more – worrisome because at least we can keep an eye on them if they're if they're on yeah. the on the main platforms. That's kind of the idea. But yeah, it's it's we're in a weird world, man. This whole conspiracy yeah. this whole conspiracy uh thing. It's become mainstream and it and it's become like uh militarized almost. Certainly mm-hmm. co opted in that so it's very weaponized and it's very uh it's just sort of there's a real undertow of like danger and anger there that is very uh, unsettling and worrisome. Well, let's let's move to a different topic that's uh, a lighter fare. We'll end up probably going dark again before we finish the conversation, I'm sure. Of course. <laughs> I feel like we're of, of the same mindset. Let's talk about your article uh, from Outer Space, because this was like a banal greatest hits thing. I haven't been to the Betty and Barney Hill archive, but as I'm re- as I'm reading the article, you're like, you wind up at America's Stonehenge, which is like a, yep. <laughs> kind of a an banal, all-favorite. Banal That's one of my greatest hits. I go there like – I try to go at least once a year or once every other year. Certainly every time someone I know from the world of the strange uh, comes to visit, I'm like, well, go to America's Stonehenge. It's like half hour from my house. You'll love it. Um, so let's talk talk about this article. We'll talk a little bit about New England uh, UFOs and strangeness and shit. Because what interested me, you were saying earlier, you got your – I don't know if it specifically was the doctor, but he studies uh, pseudo archaeology. That was your right. Uh, yes, that was, and we can work backwards to Betty and Barney Hill because <laughs> what I really want to ask about is America's Stone
0: Okay, <laughs> I, I
1: have it in my heart. So, as a pseudo archaeologist, you must have been like, "I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go to this place. I have to go. To, I have to go to America's Stone <laughs> What? <laughs> you, you didn't, you gave it no, you gave it no love in the in the, in the, in the article. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, I want, I'm sort of like this. It's like Santa Claus for me. I I want to hold out some hope that <laughs> yeah. there's something, something unique and mystical about it. Um, but there's a lot of holes in the, in the, yeah. in the, in the legend, if you will. But I guess talk a little bit, what, what was your take on America's Stonehenge? In it's. General, I mean, you have you have never been there before?
2: I had never in Like I mentioned ah. in the article, you know, my aunt and uncle live 20 minutes. For some reason, I had never put two and two together that they live So you know, all the times you know I've I've gone to visit them, stay at their place, just never connected it up until this trip. So you might say there's you know some Fortean connection right there as well yeah, that you know yeah. suddenly you know seeing that. So it, it, I, at some point, I need to go back for you know a longer trip to see it. But you know it's it's an interesting. It's an interesting site in terms of historical interpretation. Again, uh, there, there's a similar thing in Connecticut, uh, uh, you know, where I'm from, the Gungee yeah. Womp, which is, a, a, I think, like a broadly similar site in terms of multiple historical interpretations. And, you know, it is something where there's so many, I mean, first and foremost, both of these sites, they have been so altered. It's, you know, it's, it's very difficult to get any true, I think, uh, like, I, th- I think the, the efforts to even by you know good natured preservists to you know quote preserve the site I think of you know damaged right, it right. a lot as well. Uh, but I mean it's a uh, uh, it's 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 a well uh, well promoted site. Uh, it's I a think roadside attraction. It, it, I mean, and that's a great American tradition. You know, it's a the, the roadside attraction is you know I mean the jackalope is essentially birthed from a you know roadside attraction. Yeah, yeah. You get I mean you can argue like a roswell like probably the greatest roadside attraction oh, sure. of a sort. i mean yeah so it's it's a great part of american mythology for sure i think it, again it's an interesting way of trying to interpret the past uh, uh around here uh uh where i am you know very large portuguese population uh and no not too far away and it used to be dighton massachusetts now it's actually in the town of berkeley you have yeah. dighton rock this giant yeah, yeah. boulder with you know, a lot of uh uh petroglyphs, you know, inscriptions in the rock, like in almost all likelihood, probably made by Wampanoag, the native peoples of the area. But over the years, you have different interpretations of the very earliest, uh, like Europeans to study this from Harvard, you know, are, these are, you you know, Puritans, they're seeing this as the lost tribe of Israel, leaving records on these rocks, you know, a few generations later, it's the Vikings who came here. And left the inscriptions on the rock. And then now the dominant interpretation, not so much from academics, but from the, uh, this is a state museum that's built around it, is that these Portuguese explorers, uh, the Corto Real uh, expedition inscribed this message onto this rock. Again, this is a, a heavily Portuguese population in this area. And it just so happens that, you know, like a uh, the local Portuguese people lobbied heavily uh, to support, you know, build a state dam that says the Portuguese actually were the first people here. Yeah. And this is a remnant of the lost Portuguese expedition. There's a there's a local figure in the 70s. I'm, I'm forgetting his name now. He wrote a book uh, that heavily promoted the Dighton Rock as this Portuguese relic. And just just reading that again, he he's a doctor. He was a physician not a historian and that is right clear the book where it's always, he argue,
1: always that way isn't it yeah he, <laughs>
2: it's just like it, it goes beyond just you know uh, arguing okay you know the portuguese you know came here and you no know, left you know this inscription he argues that you know the wampanoag native americans are actually descended from the portuguese and he claims he can do this by you know looking at the wampanoag language he can calculate a like how how much of it comes from the Portuguese language. And then by using the language, he can determine the percentage of Portuguese DNA in the one, just like mind expanding stuff, just reading this. But he also believes of course, that Columbus was actually Portuguese, uh, which actually some of my students in class in my college have voiced that opinion to me as well. So that seems to be a a common folk history. Uh, Again, also not too far away from where I am now. Uh, Newport tower, you know, probably one of the, the, the first big examples of this, which in almost, almost certainly a colonial era windmill from the 1600s. But again, it's, you know, uh, it's a Viking hotel. According to some people, uh, there's <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, or a, a Viking, uh, you know, tower. Uh, uh, there's actually right next to it is the Viking hotel. So again, they, they draw in. I think the local uh, high school uh, sports team are called the Vikings also. There is a Newport Tower Museum, which I forget the gentleman who runs it. He was when I first moved here, he was very kind. He gave me a you know a private tour of the museum. Uh, so again, I don't want to uh uh cast too many aspersions at this uh gentleman. Right, right. His argument is that uh, John D. The court of astrologer of uh, Queen Elizabeth, wow. he constructed this. I will say, I mean, he, he convinced wow. me that John D. did you know know about Newport. I think he pointed out some stuff that makes sense that John D. may have looked at a map and selected Newport. Uh, now, whether John D. made the Newport Tower as part of this, you know, like a, a cult tradition, I, I'm less convinced by that. But again, yeah, it yeah, just goes yeah. to show that, you know, the, I think also it's, a, you know, the, a random person walking down the street sees the Newport Tower is, oh, this is an old stone building. They see a Newport Tower museum. You know, they wander in. They get told how this is, you know, a remnant of you know John Dee's lost expedition, you know, to Rhode Island in the 1500s. They're going to think, okay, sure, you know, there's a museum here, must be true, just kind of accept that. And again, I think this again goes to show that, uh, uh, again, you know, there's there's a an argument, you know, just you know explaining things, you know, doing you know that you know people who do their own research, you know, are doing a disservice to themselves a lot of times you'll find people who want to learn things and you get they, they stumble across uh people who are we'll say willing to educate them in uh alternative theories and hey, it's not always know. so clear what the uh the difference is between you know a, an alternative theory and a more mainstream theory yeah uh, and you know again it's Sometimes stuff that is mainstream becomes fringe. Sometimes stuff that's fringe becomes you know mainstream. I mean, who you know maybe like in you know ten years someone's going to be digging up near Dighton Rock and they'll find you know a Portuguese armor skeleton. On, who maybe, I mean, maybe probably not. My my money is probably not. But again, there could you know any there's there's just one discovery that's needed to you know rewrite what's accepted and what's not. Now whether it's likely for that discovery to happen. Uh, that's a different question, but you know, again, it's you know, <laughs> stuff. Yeah, you know, and I think there's also a, a one thing that frustrates me, and you see this with flat earthers talking about scientists, or like uh, you know, some of these other people talking about historians. You know, there's a conspiracy of historians who want to, you know, uh, right, suppress new discoveries. Yeah. But I mean, it's just, there's nothing that's uh, every historian wants. You know, they're desperate to make these, you know, amazing discoveries right, right. to write new books. You know, no one's gonna say, oh, you know, I, I wrote this book, you know, 30 years ago. Everything that comes after this is false. Same with scientists too. Everyone. So I think I think people who think that you know historians and scientists want to suppress new discoveries. Uh, I think you just need to talk with a historian, talk with a scientist, and everyone's. Right, right. You know, this is the stuff that we dream about of making these you know groundbreaking new discoveries. So I, I would love to. You know, I should take a shovel and just start digging around there and see what <laughs> I find. And...
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I haven't been down to the Newport Tower, but I. Remember, you posted, a, you put a picture in the article that you wrote of, and I, I remembered that in it's it's I don't know. I'd love to know the relationship there, but it's 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 kind of like at least from the America Stonehenge perspective, they they boost it as kind of like a sister monument, and it's like I don't know yeah. about that. So I'd be if I went to the Newport Tower, would they have a thing for America's Stonehenge? Or, do I it? don't
2: remember seeing one. That, oh. There's a, there's an organization called, and I'm um, going off memory. The New England Antiquities Research Association. I think that who that tend to promote. I think they're big in uh, promoting the Gungee Womp in Connecticut and uh, America's Stonehenge. I think they may be at least with the America's Stonehenge Museum. I think they're more directly associated with that. The guy yeah. who runs the Newport Tower Museum, I don't think he's part of that. But this is a group again, and in some cases, you know, they they do what you know what probably might be considered legitimate research with, you know, a lot of colonial era Native American artifacts. So a lot of people who have been uh, interested in this field have done a lot of work promoting, you know, uh, actual Native American artifacts. There's a sense, you know, Native Americans didn't use stone, didn't, you know, like, mark their territory, which is not true. Uh, Again, so you have people who are willing to, you know, use these, you know, venues to, again, try and dispel some myths about native americans but yeah. they're also you know willing to you know give credence oh yeah vikings came and you know settled uh boston you no know, a thousand years ago and you know boston was actually the capital of the viking you know vinland colony which again was a, a major view around the 20th century uh at the start of the 20th century and uh probably not as historically accepted now
1: yeah, well, it's interesting with America's Stonehenge because I was thinking about this uh, as we were talking, and it's like it has no, it, it has no sort of, it's just shrouded in mysteries. And from their perspective, I guess you could say they're like, <laughs> no one knows who built this, and no one's quite sure how old it is and why, and and they that, they they offer no real sort of legitimate theory in a sense, from what I can remember from, and this is from going there all these years. I was just <laughs> kind of Thought that they tried to pass it off as like a as a, 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 from an ancient culture, uh, I think Native Americans, but maybe not even, maybe the Vikings. I, don't, I think they kind of just kept plastering on different ideas onto it too. So it's hard to to even gather what the fuck they're trying to say. Other than it's it's a mystery, you know. We found these rock <laughs> remnants, and we don't know who made them. And it's like, uh, I don't know, I don't know.
2: Like uh, again, you know, I think if I remember right, I think they were saying like ancient Celtic people. I think that's what I kind of remember from my. And again, you can see like at different times, like you know, early 20th century, the Vikings are very, you know, very uh, popular as a theory, so that gets, uh, uh, you know, brought up a lot. Then you know, Celts become a lot more popular, and again, uh, there's it's a guy from can uh, an insurance guy from Hartford who is a big uh, promoter of America's Stonehenge uh, in the uh, like 1930s. And, you know, his ideas get brought. It's a, it's a Barry Feld with America, BC. I think that's the, the big book that really promotes like uh, America's Stonehenge and a lot of these other ideas as well. Yeah. yeah. But like, again, there, there's kernels of truth to this, where I know, especially in like uh, the gungee where there are these areas where, uh, you know, like Irish settlers would come over in, you know, the 1600s, build, you know, the type of stone walls that they would have in Ireland. Then, you know, they would abandon the area, it would get overgrown. Generations later, you know, you would get new settlers come in from the UK and say, "Oh, this looks a lot like, you know, the, the stone walls back home in Ireland, but they're in this completely overgrown region, and you know, don't not quite putting two and two together." So you get these waves where nature can reclaim things, make things seem old, and again, they are actually seeing remnants of, you know, stone structures built by. Irish settlers, just not from thousands of years ago, just maybe a hundred years earlier.
1: Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But to the untrained eye, they're like, these are thousands of years old. (laughs) It's like, I don't know, dude.
2: (laughs) Exactly, yeah.
1: So you were looking at the Betty and Barney Hill archive. That's how you wound up at America's Stonehenge. Uh, yes
2: yeah i was doing research at a a, i'm I'm sure most viewers know but just you know betty and barney hill kind of like uh the prototypical alien abduction experience in uh his 1961 if, if i'm remembering right it becomes very publicized in 1964 again interracial couple they're coming back from a vacation to montreal middle of you know nowhere overnight they're you know uh that uh, they encounter something that becomes the first alien abduction account, you know, and they recount that through hypnosis, and a lot of the tropes are what becomes the stand, or at least becomes the basis for the standard yeah. alien yeah. abduction lore when like it kind of becomes more abduction exactly shows, yeah. right. And there, there's some, you know, it's not quite the full alien abduction, like you know, will emerge with, you know, like. Uh, Bud Hopkins and Whitley Strieber yeah, yeah. in the '80s. There's some elements that are more similar to early or Contactees. It's you know, that, more
1: quaint, quaint
2: Yeah, person. it's uh, and you know, it's interesting that you know, uh, Barney dies. Much he dies in 1969. He has a much more guarded, I think, uh, response to it. Betty kind of comes around and is much more, uh, uh you know, uh, much more of a, a kind of enthusiast about it, uh, exactly. her experience. Uh, and uh, very interesting too, that, you know, reading through her papers, her letters in the archive, it's, it's Betty and Barney Hill. It's, it's mainly Betty just cause she wrote a lot more. She lived much longer. I think she died in 2004, I believe. But, uh, yeah, yeah. again, uh, she is, she's very critical of a lot of later alien abduction reports from the eighties, from the nineties. And you know, she's very, uh, dismissive of, uh, Bud Hopkins and Whitley Strieber and John Mack, you know, kind of like the big alien abduction researchers. And you know, she thinks yeah. that they're skewing abduction reports very, uh, like towards this, you know, more sinister, uh, and, and, uh, right, right. again, you can see, as she, interestingly, she does endorse, uh, she thinks that like the act, she, she believes that there's a lot of, you know, either, uh, like copycat hoaxes or just people who, you know, uh, watch the TV movie about her and, uh, 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 Barney's abduction that comes out in the 70s. Interestingly, she does believe she specifically states in one of her writings that, uh, the two abductions that come after her that she thinks are genuine are, uh, is it, uh the uh, Missis, Mississauga abductions. Miss Miss, uh, I'm, I'm, I should have looked. It's one of those, it's, I think, 1973, where, uh, yeah, kind of like the robot like alien. that that's a, yeah, Pascagoula. It's, i confusing uh, right. a couple of different names there, but so she believes that was a real abduction. Again, it's, it's a very different account from, you know, both. Yeah. Betty's it's an and Barney yeah. Hill. yeah it's a, and then she does also say that she thinks that Travis Walton's account is a genuine one, which is also funny in that. I think, I think most people think that Walton's account you will know, we'll, we'll be generous. We won't say he's a hoaxer, but that his account may have been influenced by the Betty and Barney Hills story, especially coming so soon after uh, uh the, the movie, TV yeah. movie about them came out and I know uh I know there have been accusations of uh Travis Walton being uh uh very interested in, I guess uh the, the payment for his story but, you know, right. I've, I've, I've never some, with him but
1: yeah there was some chatter in the last few years the story yeah. dive, uh has been has been <laughs> casting a new light we'll say yes we'll, yeah <laughs> you got to do your own yeah hate yeah do your own research on yeah that exactly yeah, <laughs> It's it's uh, open to interpretation, much more than I I, I think. Uh, yeah, it's been given a second look by some yeah. skeptical <laughs> folks. But yeah, the, well, that's interesting. That uh, the Passion Gula case is pretty, you know. I mean, from what I understand, it, it, that's a pretty solid case. At least, it's something really strange happened to those guys.
2: Uh, and it's it's yeah. interesting too, to you know, it's what it is one of a very few number of abduction accounts that come out. In between Betty and Barney Hill, and when abductions kind of go mainstream with the start right, of the eighties, and I, I I say that because you know there are other no, it's stories. It's more of an kinda...
1: encounter than an abduction, almost. Exactly, I yeah. I don't know if they were taken aboard the craft or not. Now I thought they just saw the guy, the alien, come over the being, or the robot. Come yeah,
2: out, come I, out I think they were and taken. If I'm, recall. Recall. I'm remembering, they may
1: have been taken. I don't remember now. It's, I but, didn't prepare it, for a Pascagoula. Exactly, episode, folks. <laughs> Jesus, get off my back here. But yeah, it's a it's a weird case, that's for sure.
2: It, it, it's all. I've always enjoyed it too. Uh, and you know, one thing also going in, I've always thought that you know you could look at Betty and Barney Hill maybe not as the first abductees, but as kind of you know part of the the contactee trend. Betty herself is she's very uh, critical of the contactees, or not, I mean she, she's very joking about them. And obviously you know if you read a lot of the contactee accounts from the 1950s. It, it's easy to find them kind of humorous, kind of, you know, very quaint. So she yeah, herself yeah. At least did seem to think that there's very distinct elements that, you know, she, she did not consider herself a contactee. And uh, a lot of the early reporting say, yeah. also there, the term contactee is used because I think you know, that's just the terminology of the time. Uh, abdu- abductee abduction does come out very surprisingly quickly in the 60s in uh, writings about Betty and Barney Hill. So I, I didn't realize that, the term alien abduction, ab- abductee, comes out that quickly. But it does seem like that was a, a very big turnaround that emerges there.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting case. There will always be people skeptical of it, but it's just a strange, you know, there's part of me that's like, okay, look, if this didn't happen to them, somebody wanted it to appear, like, they wanted that in the zeitgeist or something. Like, I, right. I, I, I haven't completely signed off on sort of the idea that it was like some kind of psy or whatever to like <laughs> introduce the idea of alien abductions into, into the minds of people or something. Uh, there, there's something really just strange about how that took hold and became such a crazy story. But I think a big a prominent part of it too, was that they were, they were, they were prominent people in New Hampshire politics. Oh yeah. And, and yeah. so that's in the civil rights movement uh, in New Hampshire, which I had known about, but I hadn't, Really given much thought to, I guess you could say, uh, till I was reading your article and that kind of refreshed my memory. I had, you know, I had read Stan Freeman, Kathy Martin's book long ago, so of course I mm-hmm. knew that. But I'm like, I hadn't really. But it's it's just interesting too that their whole like. Yeah, with the conspiratorial aspect. Like their whole their whole like work on in the civil rights realm got completely upended by this incident, which is an interesting sort of like okay, that's you know, that's that raises an eyebrow, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean like they, they helped chair Lyndon Johnson's reelection campaign in New Hampshire. They're invited to Lyndon Johnson's inauguration in nineteen sixty. I mean they're, they're big figures, they're uh lifetime like they're one of the or at least barney at least was one of the leaders of the naacp in new hampshire at the time and again he's very worried that you know hearing about alien abductees is you know aliens you know, flying around this is going to completely upend his work and you know and to a degree it does i mean it's without a doubt it overshadows everything else uh you know he's on like uh, he's on national ratings on national television uh it's i mean it's, it's not the end of his work but without a doubt i mean I think exactly. What he didn't want to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he's uh, he's now known. He's known for being an alien abductee. He's not known for his civil rights and political right. work. And the same with a uh, uh, you no know, Betty. Also, although again, uh, she she did remain active in politics. I mean, I don't think she was very effective, but she wrote a lot of letters. She's very uh, you know, she's lobbying various political leaders. Not about abduction. You know, she's she's writing to political leaders in New Hampshire about. New Hampshire political issues. So again, she is remaining, you know, her life was not entirely UFOs afterwards. It may have seemed like it, but again, without a doubt, I think that became much more prominent. uh, uh, And when one aspect of your life becomes more, uh, you know, prominent, that's going to put the other parts kind of into eclipse.
1: Right, right, exactly, and like you're saying, like if you if you're gonna appear on TV or be interviewed, like that takes your time away from whatever else you might want to be doing. So it's that's kind of the whole. That's just life, right? Now, what are the? I haven't been to the archives themselves, but reading the article, I really wanted to go there and check it out because it's like, yeah, it sounds it's... pretty cool. Like talk, take people sort of in into that <laughs> into that scene, if you will, the uh the petty. And Barney Hill archives it's in University of New Hampshire right
2: yeah University of New Hampshire I think it's the the Diamond Library in their main campus in Durham again this is it's open to the anyone who wants to do research can go there I think I mentioned like well while I was there I was the only person there uh in the special archives of the library but uh I, I someone on the ph- someone called on the phone clearly was setting up a uh, visit to go through the archives uh after me I think for some tv production maybe I'm not not sure what ended up airing but yeah I mean this is in a it's in a basement of the library it's in a reading room uh you know it's a you have to sign in the front desk but you sign yeah. in there's a reading room you can you know bring your laptop your computer your uh you know pen and paper pencil and paper I think not pen but pencil they require you uh, wow. and you know they'll they'll wheel out the boxes of personal files uh you know, there's a guide online to you know what boxes each contain you go through them uh there's you no know, some special uh you know uh materials as well they can take out from you uh they have you know the ceramic bust of uh junior the alien head that betty yeah, has yeah, made. Right, uh, yeah. there's a uh, the the dress that betty wore is there that's part of the archive you can see that and so
1: they can I, so they like how do you you're just like, Hey, can you get the dress? I'd like to take a look at it. Yeah, you can you can
2: ask them, you know, they'll That's bring they, they will uh, they'll put it in like one of the side rooms, open it up and you know, again, on a on a busy day there might be other people in the archives looking through other materials. But again, yeah. you know, you can you take out the the Betty and Barney Hill stuff. Any as, as at least as far as I'm aware, I don't I don't think it's, anything has changed since. But, yeah, I mean it's again it's, I'm again it's one of the things where UFOs are so prominent now. I think many researchers who are getting into it don't know how easy it is. I mean, again, you have to, you have to drive to Durham, New Hampshire, you might need a hotel, but again, you don't need any special credentials to look at, you know, a lot of the, you know, know, case zero stuff of the modern UFO area. Anyone who has an interest can go and, you know, no one's going to stop you. No one's going to, you know, gatekeep you. You can look through all this stuff yourself (laughs) and, Again, I mean now now I'm starting to sound like a curmudgeon. You know, it's a it's a lot easier just to make, you know, a TikTok video than it is to actually go do research and see what uh actually someone said at the time or you know, to see the yeah, act. yeah. this goes beyond you know just you know UFOs or flat earth. I mean again, I think I think it's a a wider issue with uh with research uh uh in in this in the paranormal field, we'll say.
1: Yeah. Well it's for most of these folks, it's like a hobby, so it's hard. To, right. <laughs> I can I can give them kind of a pass uh, on that in a sense, but it's yeah. I I think also it's a maybe I don't know how old you are, but I it's sort of, I think it might be kind of an age thing too, where it's at some point you kind of like. <laughs> I I want to see the Betty and Barney. I want to see Betty's dress. I want to see this bust. I want now I want to go and check this thing out. Like I I went to moth you know West Virginia where the Mothman thing. I, I wanted to see right where all these things happened and, and be, you know, I stood where they saw the all. Like I stood where Mothman was. It's like, how can you beat that? That's better than any TikTok video ever.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, if I was, you know, like a 20 or I I probably would not be doing, I think, you know, there's a certain age where you're more inclined to do this. So maybe, maybe some of these people will grow up and become uh you know, more willing to go out and do the research. But I I think that, I think that also leads, you know, uh, an issue to where you have people who, you know, portray themselves as, you know, UFO experts, you know, uh, cryptozoology experts and their, their expertise is, you know, doing the research, which is watching YouTube videos of other experts. I think, I think, you know, obviously people who are interested in UFOs, cryptozoology, any of this stuff as a hobby. I mean, obviously like, you know, you know, if I watch movies, as a, I'm not going to go make a movie, as you know, right, right. instead what? But I think if you're going to portray yourself as an expert, you know, as like someone who, you know, someone who does research, and your research, your expertise is just watching other people on YouTube. I think that's where there is maybe this yeah. this circular element of uh, the modern field, where and probably why you know there is a uh, that lack of historical knowledge of what's come before because it is. Some is ultimately yeah. know, a, a little bit of a uh, a, a social media or a boros.
1: That's you took the words right. I was just gonna say boros, <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's at the risk of offending people. Like there needs people need to understand. Like there's you, there's nothing wrong with being an enthusiast. That's like, but if you say you're like a UFO researcher or a Bigfoot researcher, it's very like 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 I'd say, and it's very. Are you really? What are you researching? Like just reading a lot of books and watching a lot of YouTube videos? It's like that's why I never really said I'm like a UFO researcher. I'm not really, or a Bigfoot researcher, or ghost. Like I'm not actually doing. <laughs> I I'm a paranormal researcher in the sense that I'm researching <laughs> the world of the paranormal, like the people in the paranormal, not not the paranormal itself. So that's that's about as far as I would go with <laughs> ever even tagging myself a researcher. Otherwise, I'm just an enthusiast. I'm just a fan of these weird things and i'm an observer of, of them but it's like yeah people they throw around researcher pretty loosely uh in the world of the paranormal that's for sure yeah
2: <laughs> and you know it's, it's i think there's also uh you know a degree of what exactly counts as research that's uh, even you know right from people in the field you know, there's some again you know if, if you think uh i've talked a bit with uh uh an author David Halpern he wrote a book a few years ago called Intimate Alien and you know he recounts uh his own you no know, childhood as a teenager in the 1960s who was interested in you know UFOs and trying to interview uh people who are uh you know witnessed UFOs try to find landing sites you know, as yeah, yeah. as a, as a teenager you know, I think there is a a certain element of that was maybe you know a bit more common amongst the uh the enthusiasts I think yeah, the DIY. No, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think maybe know, it's also no. it was you know you don't have not again, not to kinda of say that social media is bad. I don't I don't think it's bad, but I think there there's an ease to it that I think precludes uh the you know, if you have to travel, you know, to talk with, you know, someone else who's in you know, a big fan of flying saucers, you're more willing to travel with them, you know, to see some reported sighting. And I think yeah, there's absolutely. a bit less of that now.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and the immediacy of everything makes it so, why at yeah. home, you know, look, it's like, why would I go to the football game when I can watch, it's better to watch it at home on TV. It's like, they've made everything so comfortable now that it's...
0: <laughs> yep, you know, yep. They
1: almost discourage anyone to do anything, but and I, I should I almost wanna wanna sort of backpedal just a little bit. Look, if you read a lot let's say you read a shitload of books, then yeah, okay, you can call yourself a researcher. That's kind of <laughs> you know, at this day and age that's pretty fucking good compared to Yeah. If you just yeah. if you're just if you're just watching if if you just watch hours of YouTube videos, like I, don't, I can't I can't got into that. I, I don't I don't really know if that's research. So you're just watching other people's research, but we now we're probably getting pedantic. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, there's you know it's just uh, the podcasts too, where it's just the the worst type of podcast is just you know the reading like Wikipedia articles straight off and just it's I mean there, there's yeah. not just par- there's there's a lot of podcasts that have become very much like that and and you know it's it's even worse when the you know, Wikipedia is not always correct either. I feel like people have kind of forgotten that, and so you get. Just the, the feedback loop of inaccurate information, or just uh, yes. stuff that just keeps getting regurgitated, and then then it's even harder to dislodge that once it's kind mm-hmm. of uh, entered uh, the zeitgeist.
1: Yeah. Well, you, yeah, you, you, you yeah. I, I hadn't really thought about it, but it is kind of like a pet peeve uh, of mine, and 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 I don't listen to any of these shows, so I, you know, maybe some of them are really good. So I, I, <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna, um. I'm not going to get all virulent about it, but it's, like, I'm not a big fan of, like, shows that are, like, okay, this week we're going to talk about the Spring-Heel Jack case, and I'm going to tell you about the Spring-Heel Jack, and like you said, it relies on, short Wikipedia and articles written by places all over, you know, all different articles, and some of them probably do some pretty good research into it, but it's, like, I'd rather just talk to the person who wrote the book on Springhill Jack or like yeah. I'd rather I'd rather speak to someone who has put in years and months and whatever research into this case than than just like okay I'm going to spend the week doing a deep dive on Spring-Heel Jack and then we're going to do that for the show this week or whatever.
2: Yeah, so there's always you know uh uh the personal touch from the, you know, the obsessive person who's, you know, spent, you know, their lives looking into a topic and you get the, especially, you know, and I know this from writing book now. It's a, you get, you can get the stuff that has to get cut out of the book too. And you have little interesting factoids that kind of hard to squeeze into the uh, uh, manuscript here and there.
1: Now it's, What's been the reaction? I guess the college is cool with the flat earth interest, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've certainly had no response from yeah, I mean, I now, if I was maybe, gonna, if I was using classes to teach earth. my students, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> if I was telling my students that the earth was flat, that might be something different. But right, so, right. So I think, you know, they're, they're happy to have, you know, just a big academic publisher willing to put out something from a, a, a faculty member. So yeah, a, there's been not a whole, again, you know, like, yeah, you know, like uh with stuff like you know the Lemuria book. Uh, I have a friend who's writing a book on the Hollow Earth. You know, there's certainly no oh, nice. uh gosh. Uh, yeah. Which again I think uh I think the last Hollow Earth book came out maybe like two thousand six or so. It's it's been a oh, long wow. time since uh there's really been a focus on that uh that would be fantastic. in like a single okay. tone. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. And so again, yeah, you know, we we live in a, uh, you know an era when uh you know, I think I think there's a lot of people recognize this is a, a field that's worth studying. And uh, I know a uh, uh, professor at uh, Central Connecticut State University, Kenneth Fader, he writes a lot about these, you know, like, uh, uh, he, he's an archaeologist, uh, he specializes in Native American archaeology, but he spends a lot of his time writing about, you know, like uh, uh, pseudo-archaeology, uh, you know, Right, uh, right. Uh, i think frauds myths and mysteries the title of one oh, of his books so again you know it's a there, there are academics who write about this uh again you also know at uh keen university in new jersey brian regal wrote searching for sasquatch uh again very very well researched book. Uh, he, he's written on uh the jersey devil and uh uh oh, interesting. Mo- mo- his most recent book i think two years ago now maybe uh was uh I forget. It's uh something about like uh the various like alternative myths of American discoveries. You know, like the Vikings, ah, okay, yeah, like yeah. the the Portuguese, all this. So again, you know, there there's plenty of academics who are writing this, and you know, it's just, it's like any other field. You know, it's uh if, you, if as long as you can justify, as long as you're not you know uh, writing something you know completely crazy that you're advocating, then I think most
1: people sense. are gonna be fine with it. Do you? Now, on the opposite end, I suppose, it, it, I, I, this was sort of enveloped in the question in a way, though, but do you get anyone who's, like, not a flat earther, per se, but – because this here's what I find. People, when you talk about it, there is a certain fascination. They want to talk about it with, like, with you, and oftentimes I always – it gets me really frustrated. I don't know if you've encountered this, um, where they want to, like, argue the flat earth. They want to, like, understand – how it the mechanics of it and it's like look i can't like because so, they want to punch holes in it so like so what do they say like that the ice is around the earth and you're like yeah they say that the, well how would that and it's like look i'm not gonna go down the flat earth road with you dude like you don't <laughs> it's it's not fucking flat man so like don't even enter this is like Arguing if like dogs can talk or whatever, it's like you need to, (laughs) you need to like let it go. But that's, but I don't know, have you encountered that where people kind of like want to kind of like press, press the edges, press your edges in a way? And it's just like, (laughs) and probe the topic with someone who actually knows something about the flat earth. And it's like, no, 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 that's not where we're going.
2: Yeah, like uh, that, like you no, know, uh, the idea of like uh, you know the sun orbiting around the earth, and you uh, know, oh, you know, like if they don't believe in gravity, then you know what's what's holding the earth up? You know, where was the earth floating? up? Uh, like yeah, a, yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of desire to kind of you know dive into some of the uh uh, uh you know I guess mecha- mechanistic issues yeah. behind the flat, but yeah, again, the logistics <laughs> of it. Yeah, they yeah. want to
1: argue logistics of flat earth, and it's like you're you're barking up the wrong tree.
2: Yeah, I think if you ask a lot of flat earthers, you know, they'll just say, "Oh, it's just you know magnets, or you know, it's God, or it's acceleration." Just you know, that's. I I think a lot of them aren't as you know concerned with it either. Again, you know, when you you tell someone like you know I'm I'm writing about you know like uh you know I know people who've written about spiritualism you know you know no one's gonna say like oh but you know where do they think the ectoplasm comes from? Oh, ghosts magic you know whatever <laughs> yeah it's just, yeah there, i think there's certain things where uh it does there's a certain incredulity I, I think i think you know again especially amongst you know a certain uh set of you know uh more more liberal secular academics i think that are uh you know find it very hard to kind of perceive this now i think in the humanities i think you know it's more t- more used to uh you know taking you know the the beliefs of other you know groups at their own values. I think maybe there's a bit of interpretation from that. I think more from kind of the uh uh STEM fields, you know, like uh, like physics, astronomy, mathematics. I think that's where uh the, the more incredulous uh, uh yes. inclined yeah. or the more uh, argumentative will say again, you know I'm reminded also that's uh you no know, wh- what I think inadvertently one of the big popularizers of you know the flat earth idea was Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, an astrophysicist, who I think didn't quite seem to grasp, you know, despite like, by trying, you know, to point out all the various inaccuracies of flat earth or ideas, was maybe helping, you know, popularize it <laughs> to yeah, some extent yeah. also. But I think it also is a, a reflection of a, a certain, uh, uh, we'll say a certain pedantic streak in his personality also. That, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. He had to like... He had to, like, take them down a peg where it's like, no, dude, just by talking about them, you're raising their profile to a level that now more people are getting tuned into the flat earth. Yeah, that was on the upswing of that, the late yep, late, yep. late 2010s cycle. Um, have you – I'm trying to think of the name of this. It's a, we may have even talked about it when you were on the show uh, back in, uh, in 2020. It's mud floods. Have you oh, – yeah. this, this insane – Conspiracy theory—that's like it's Tartuga, I think—is the other part. Yeah, yeah. Tartarians, yeah. <laughs> Tartar, yeah. I haven't done a deep dive into it, but have you looked at all this fucking craziness? <laughs> this is another thing. Again, I may have mentioned this to you at some point, but it was like as the Flat Earth convention was winding down in Dallas that that weekend I went, um, there was like a couple of dudes like off to the side, and they're kind of like looking at their phones and, and showing each other videos and shit. And I'm like – and they were like ju- – they were ready to jump ship. They were ready to leave Flat Earth and go to Tortuga or, or Tartaria <laughs> and the mud floods. They're like, there's some real fucking – there's some real good work being done here uh, by this YouTube channel on on mud floods. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, I got I'm, – I'm fucking – Three days deep into a flat earth convention, dude. I'm flying yeah. home tomorrow. I can't, I cannot even touch this mud, flood, Tartaria shit. That, like, you can't drop a brand new crazy ass conspiracy theory on me, man. I'm, I'm fucking done. But I, I have looked vaguely at it. It's an interesting sort of ridiculous idea. There are a few really cool, ridiculous conspiracy theories. Like, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of the one that's like, that they erased a chunk of history, or they invented. A chunk t- of I was history.
2: just thinking about that. Yeah, it's uh, that's that's one that's very, very funny. And again, I think also it comes from I think a very specific cultural context. In, uh I think specifically like Russian history. That again, blending you know, not evangelical Christianity, but you know, the Orthodox Christianity with. Kind of like you know revisionist Russian culture, but I know you know that that gets tied in also with a bit of the tartarius stuff, where you know the the Russians are the the real Tartarians, and it's a way of, I think you can see kind of like you know two different conspiracies kind of like grow tentacles and integrate with each other, and you know inadvertently provide I ammunition. Mean, that that's an interesting connection there, but I, I've looked a bit into you know uh, mud flood Tartare, but again like you, it's just it's I, I know the gist, but it's too much to dive into. But it does right, seem right. like that became really, yeah. It does seem like it took off a lot in recent years. I mean, I know it's it had existed, I think, before the pandemic, but it seems like have kind of a major, uh, like really pandemic like, yeah. explode, yeah. And but yeah, oh, yeah, that the Phantom Time is uh, that's yeah. There's you know on, on the surface that makes maybe more logical sense than flat earth as an idea but at the same time it's just it's so esoteric and complicated that it seems like almost paradoxically less like less less believable than flat earth because you have to get into so many like oh but you know you revise the you know the medieval chronologies and that's why you know these years don't actually and just you know i think if you have to explain your conspiracy you know to that extent you know like like here's what you know like you know the the medieval Orthodox, you know, chroniclers said about this Byzantine codex, and that's why you yeah. know, 500 years don't exist. And I think it's just, you know, th- there's a limit. I think to uh, uh, how how invested I'm willing to get to, uh, you know, develop something. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but it is that's just kinda,
1: like, yeah, that's kind of that's that's the that's the the double-edged sword. It's like, look, that's a fucking terrible idea. I don't want to even know more <laughs> uh, more about it. It doesn't hold up. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And then the uh, mud fossils too. That's been like a, a recent big development that I, I think that that's just a funny like, oh, this hill looks like a face. Therefore, it must be like an actual giant that got you know fossilized in Noah's flood right, or whatever. Right. And just <laughs> but and well, it's fun to think of you know giant trees that are you know, like 500 miles high. But uh, yeah, it's yeah, well, uh, that's
1: one of the things. Yeah, there was a big that was a big thing in the flat Earth community for like a yep, brief spell, yep. like a viral. A viral, this is almost like back before virality, but it was like a viral video in the Flat Earth community. It was like, are are there there are no trees on Flat Earth or something like that? And it was it made the argument like Devil's Towers, an example yep, of like yep. ancient giant trees that used to be on Earth and they all died out, but some of them the stumps became rock formations. It's like I when I first heard that, I'm like, that is, I love that crazy theory. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't believe it, but what a delightful idea, like who, who who came up with this? It's fantastic. I think I, I, you may recall, but I think the when the fucking video that really it was like a Russian dude, I wonder how much of this shit just comes from Russia. It was a yeah. Russian dude who was like, had a super thick Russian accent, and he was like, he gave a whole presentation on on this theory that uh, you know, that there were giant trees.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Russian stuff. You know, I think the reasons, at least part of the reason why so many like of this stuff is uh, like coming out, like a lot of the really bizarre esoteric stuff. You know, it's it's their attempt of you know trying to integrate aspects of their society, their history of you know a superpower that has you know, completely collapsed. You know, from like yeah. thirty years ago, it is it is a bit interesting to think of like oh you know in a few decades it was. Is, you know, modern, our modern American conspiracy is going to be, you know, further, you know, going along similarly bizarre lines as, you know, the U.S. (laughs) uh, potentially slowly kind of, uh, you know, moves along in its history, you know, uh, towards its uh, decline eventually. But, uh, yeah, I mean, more than once I've thought that some of the really weird Russian stuff is, you know, maybe a glimpse of, uh, you know what American conspiracy theories will be like in a few decades, but uh, right, that's well, going to the dark way, stuff to come back to. You, you back kind to.
1: of find you might, that might be an, uh applicable in this sort of secret space program conspiracy. Oh yeah,
2: absolutely. Program, where definitely.
1: it's like, it's like sort of like, look, we're not, we're not this failing nation. We actually have a secret, uh, a secret space program that's running concurrent. We've been to Mars. We've been to Jupiter. We've been all over the place. So you just don't know anything about it. We're a great, even greater than you can imagine, uh, country. It's like uh, maybe <laughs> that's is overcompensation.
2: That, yeah, that's i never thought about. That. That's a great point. Uh, I I don't know if I've ever mentioned this. You no, know, in in not that I've tried to keep this a secret. There was one time walking in the street in New York City, some guy came up to me and started just talking about the secret space program. And I don't know what God. he. I don't know what sensor he had they you know indicated this is a guy who you know, would be willing to listen to me ramble about the secret space it's program the beard. For, yeah, just yeah exactly yeah, I'm but just funny, uh,
1: I am getting there too
2: I thought he was talking to himself for a while <laughs> I was just tuning it out and I realized oh he's he's following me and he's talking about like you know going in a spaceship to fight you know the evil clone of god and just uh, I was like, it sounds great like I, I think yeah. one of the things that uh, Jurassic Park was part of a propaganda you know to Get people used to the idea of you know cloning gods that God without a soul could be cloned, and then he was oh, going to be in space, and the secret space program was going to fly like you know missions against you know the evil god. I, just, I was like, this is great. Then you know as soon as he some other person walked by, like immediately just fixate on them turned around to start following them the other direction and you were like hey man i was really I, that. I was Where, like, can i subscribe to your newsletter guy. i know but yeah, just like uh but I, I think also that you know him ranting about jurassic park uh, i think you, you brought this up earlier there's also like uh you know the sense now you know, like everything is a psyop everything is misinformation yes. disinformation you know, like i think you know in in the conservative side you know it's everything is no you know this uh like deep state plot and then you no. Know, the, the liberal mirror of this, you know, everything is Russian disinformation. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I probably fall for that and, myself.
0: Yeah, 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 but, yeah.
2: Yeah. but yeah, but it's just like either, you know, either have like, it's either everything is, the Russians are behind everything or the deep states behind right. everything. Someone's trying Anything, to, someone yeah. has an
1: invisible hand trying to sway opinions kind of. It's, it's, it's I, theory, yeah. On each side. I find
2: that just very tiring. It's just, it's, it's tiring. It is just boring too. I think. Shows a maybe a lack of imagination in you know conspiracy believers, where even you know, like believing in a conspiracy is the conspiracy to get you to you know fall for this other conspiracy and just you yeah know, exactly. Again, <laughs> look, folks, we don't, need, we, don't need,
1: we don't need Russians to lift up our kooks. America has yeah. plenty of great kooks on their own. We're absolutely we're the, we're, we're the kookiest and, and we, we, we don't need we don't need we need no stinking Russians to uh, to yeah. propagate propagate our fucking crazy dumb ideas. We come up with plenty of them on our own. Speaking of which, have you another great bad conspiracy theory is the dinosaur one? Have you heard of this one that's like the dinosaurs weren't the, the, the dinosaurs aren't fucking real. That the whole thing oh. is a fabrication. I don't know why, you know, I don't know why it's another one of those conspiracy theories that I just is so dumb that I haven't looked into it, but I have heard of it cuz uh there was a a very angry conspiracy theorist who like demanded that this mcdonald's in arizona remove their giant dinosaur (laughs)
0: because
1: dinosaurs didn't exist so i guess the the idea is like that the bones are like fabrications for again i don't know why it's one of those like i don't know why but it's been around for a while
2: This, this sounds like some kind of like early 2000s like early internet atheist like satire of creationists like you know yeah the, the devil created the dinosaur bones to fool you and yeah you know,
1: yeah that kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah.
2: but it's just funny. like if you talk with a lot of creation you know they like, there, there's a good documentary from a few years ago about the creation museum in uh, kentucky called we believe in dinosaurs I mean, they they have a giant you know actual like uh i think it's a tyrannosaurus rex skeleton you know fossilized yeah. skeleton in their museum they believe that dinosaurs exist. Just you know that again, they believe that dinosaurs still exist somewhere in the world today because according um, to them. You know, only, yeah, exactly because only God has the ability, you know, to you know create and kill species. So even though know, kind of like the perception that they think that dinosaurs died in Noah's flood. No, because you, you can't have extinction of uh uh kinds of uh, creatures. Only God can do that. So, you know, uh extinctions don't yes. actually happen. Again, you can see how this has a certain maybe political slant as well but i think also it's a recognition that you know dinosaurs are cool kids love dinosaurs uh right, therefore right. you know if you embrace dinosaurs it's a way to get kids interested uh i think uh uh again it's not the documentary but uh there's a a historian a uh, james biello who uh he interviewed a lot of the people who worked at the creation museum i think kind of near the end maybe they kind of like decide they didn't want him around as much but you know the people who are doing the sculptures they're taking inspiration directly from jurassic park from the lord of the rings movies from star wars like they're looking at you know the models that these movies use so these yeah. blockbuster movies are shaping literally like how the creationists are trying to use dinosaurs to pull in you know kids and you know and adult i mean oh, adults God, love yeah. dinosaurs too and is that, i think there's there's an yeah, the, the, uh, the creationists who think they you know dinosaurs are all false. That's a uh, 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 they're they're behind the times. Uh, surprisingly, right? right. I, I do know there is a. That's uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, because like dinosaurs, it makes sense where it's like dinosaurs are the, the lure to get you to
2: come. Exactly. Like,
1: it's <laughs> like, no, look, man, we we not only do we believe in dinosaurs, we think they're still around.
2: And right. Exactly.
0: Like,
1: Fox, <laughs> man, give me my here's Twenty bucks. I want to get yep. in, I want to get into this giant <laughs> ship. I'll be honest, talking to you tonight about this, we'll be kicking around So we do this thing, friends of us, we all kind of go, so now I'm kind of like, I gotta look into this, because that would be a place I would like to go see, that giant boat. I hope it's still uh, open, but that's enormous, it's like, it's a whole experience.
2: It's it's allegedly, you know, a full size replica of Noah's Ark. Again, there's different ideas of how big Noah's Ark was. I don't know how they're interpreting this, but I've heard a I have a friend who went there uh who's a paleontologist. She said it's worth going to see it, you know. So I have had it it's been well, endorsed. That's awesome. I I have heard a uh, this is, it's a few it's almost 10 years old now or so. I've heard it leaks when it rains, which that's is kind the thing. of funny. Yeah, I that, heard that. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is it's almost too good to be true. But I I would like to go there too just to experience it once. So, right. Yeah, you know, right. yeah uh, it, it. It you have to go. Take it in once. I feel like. I mean, again, you know, props to Ken Ham for building. You know, he he knew what he was doing when he built that thing. It's it's a great a uh, great draw for sure. But,
1: Talk about roadside attractions. That's, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's one right there for sure. Now the megalodon. This paper you wrote.
0: Obviously. Right.
1: I was a little confused, but I think I figured out what you were trying to say. It was very scientific, so I was like, "Wait, a minute, what? <laughs> What's going on here?" I'm just, I'm like the dusty roads. I, I needed common Man style. <laughs> so, what you're saying is that the the megalodon is has become kind of like a modern, real more, not necessarily as plausible, but like like how people think Nessie is a plesiosaur, right? Right. The idea that Megalodon is still out there hanging around in the ocean—that's kind of the idea. Like that, you're arguing in a sense that, that that's like this thing, or maybe maybe this is what you what scientists say. I'm not sure, <laughs> but the idea is that 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 people still seem to think this Megalodon's hanging around, but actually, it probably died out a long time ago. So it's like kind of a weird cryptid of a of a new a, a new a, a unique classification of cryptid, if you will.
2: Right, you know, it's again, it connects with some of the stuff we were talking with earlier. Like, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And it's it's that you know, there before you know the modern age, you know, there's no like myths about megalodons still. You know, no no culture thinks that you know megalodons were still around. There's there's no you know mythologies of living megalodons. Uh, I mean, ancient you no, know, or not even ancient, but, you know, like, people. Pre modern people around the world knew about megalodons, and as much as they found megalodon teeth, you can find megalodon teeth in religious ceremonies around the world. So, again, and it's debated about how much uh, you know, they, they knew it was a separate species than, you know, say, great white shark teeth, not entirely clear about that. But really, the idea that the megalodons still exist, which, by the way, heavily, it's a TikTok thing again, we're, we're coming back to TikTok. But again, this comes from efforts, you know, from modern science. The the origin of modern oceanography of, you know, uh, uh, charting the ocean floor comes from a British Navy expedition in the 1870s, HMS Challenger. They went around the world trying to chart, you know, the ocean floor. They dredge up some megalodon teeth from, you know, uh, the seafloor. This becomes the basis for an interpretation that, these teeth are only a few thousand years old, so therefore megalodons could still exist. This, you know, supposedly scientific interpretation. Although I've, I've recently heard there's a uh, uh, another guy who does a lot of megalodon research, Tyler Greenfield. He just published an article, point out that the guy who actually made this art this uh, scientific interpretation of the megalodon teeth, he himself was big into cryptozoology which is something that uh, i did not so again there, there's hidden elements here as well but yeah, you know, yeah, ostensibly yeah. this is an oceanographer using oceanography coming up with a scientific justification for this giant shark is still alive or plausibly still alive in the modern era and as a result uh, all of a sudden there's all these megalodon sightings you know it becomes a cryptid you know, th- thanks to you know, books like meg but also jaws the original jaws the megalodon it's 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 in it's not physically in Jaws, but it's discussed in Jaws. Uh, the Hooper character, you know, Richard Dreyfuss in the movie, he talks about, you know, what if, you know, the shark is actually like a baby megalodon. So yeah, there's yeah, that yeah. connection in Jaws as well. But uh, essentially, this is, you know, a crypto. Put into the
1: zeitgeist. A-
2: exactly. And it's not coming from, you know, uh, like, say, Mokele Mbembe, where you have these indigenous stories or with some of the woolly mammoth uh sightings like uh indigenous stories from in particular uh like the Sioux or uh the Inuit in Alaska that you know they find fossils, they make these legends of these creatures based on the fossils, which then get incorporated or with Mokele mbembe these you know, uh, uh, myths about this large creature that then you know get kind of like dinosaurs get grafted on. The megalodon, it's entirely a mythology that comes from science. You know, we're told, you know, science should not, you know, have mythology. You know, science should not, you know, lead to these kind of alternative views. But, you know, nevertheless, the science at the time said the megalodon was this shark that once existed. It plausibly could still exist, even if then that then gets revised. It's no longer believed by mainstream science. But this is a cryptid, this is you know, a, a myth, a mythology of this living creature that is, you know, quote, the, you know, because of science. It doesn't come from any kind of like pre-existing religion or mythology. This is a, a myth that comes from the interpretation of science, which is, you know, quote, again, you no know, air quotes, supposed to not happen. Science right, is right. to clean up mythologies, not uh, uh, introduce yeah. them. So it's kind of the reverse of what we might think of as uh, the root yeah. cause of
1: this. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. Cause I, I kind of remember like, he, he left wondering sort of like where'd this Megalodon thing even come from? Cause it just like kind of burst on the scene over the last few years too, especially so, or this is the turn of the century where it was like, wait, now there's a giant super shark. That's apparently like in the ocean. That I, you know, so, yeah, it's, in a way, it would be, in a sense, in a way, it sort of mirrors the argument, the Gigantopithecus argument. Right. Just yeah. like that the, the Bigfoot is, is a remnant Gigantopithecus that's just still hanging around, uh, that somehow managed to survive into modern times and evolve into something we know as Bigfoot today.
2: Or, you know, you get the the discoveries of Neanderthals, and then that's you know adapted to uh, oh you know these these alternate humanoid forms that used to coexist with humans. So therefore, uh, you know if you read some like Bernard Hoovelman's later stuff, that everything is a Neanderthal according to him. Like you know Fairies <laughs> got it's it's all Neanderthals that are still you know, the jinns are Neanderthals. You know, he wrote some article about you know trying to say that you know, guess, uh, yeah. uh the prophet Muhammad is hanging out with Neanderthals and that's where all these like Islamic teachings come from, which is a v- very interesting uh, point of view from there. But yeah, again, it's uh, these ideas of, a uh, you know, uh, interpretation uh, of, you know, interesting things in nature then seem to be, you know, able to justify things. And even, a uh, uh even in, again, the Victorian era, this is called the Terranian hypothesis that, a, not a lot, but some people in the Victorian era had this idea. They're discovering things like, you know, uh, Neanderthals, and this is leading to the idea that, uh, you know, fairies, goblins, elves in, you know, uh, Scandinavian culture, that this is actually like folk memory of early interactions with Neanderthals. And so, in a way, again, this is, this is reflected back in kind of a the 1800s mythology, folklore, anthropology studies.
1: Interesting. That's really interesting. I I think I mentioned this when we had, uh, Chris, I don't know if it was, yeah, Chris Cogswell and Bernie uh, Mayhew from Mad Scientist Podcast. I think we had them on the show, and I think I brought this up on the show, but, uh, and I don't expect you to really know the answer to this, but the, the, I am, this may be a seed for a future, but all America, I'll just put it out there ether. but I've, I have always been fascinated by like, how did they even, they find these giant bones. Like, how did they even come up with fucking dinosaurs? Like, it must have, not not that they came up with them, but, like, how they figure that out? That's, <laughs> so, it's just uh, just from the bones they found in the ground. Like, I'd love to revisit that that journey of human understanding. So, maybe, maybe someday uh, in the future on the show. But, yeah, that, that always kind of struck me as, like, talk about, like, human achievement like <laughs> yeah uh, like yeah so we found these bones on the ground now we can tell you that they belong to these Although you know it's interesting if you look at the evolution of dinosaurs like the way they're depicted has changed over time like mm-hmm. subtly till it's like santa claus it's like <laughs> it changes a little bit they, they gain you know to the point now where they're like i think a lot of a lot of them are like they they a lot more than when i was a kid which was like 30 years ago now, um, when I was a kid, it was just like, they were all like super scaly, like lizard things. And now it's like, no, a lot of them had feathers, turns out. So a lot of them, and it's like, wait, what? So they are, de- they are depicted. I've seen uh, dinosaur bros complain like on Twitter. they like, they're making the dinosaurs look wimpy now because they <laughs> put feathers on them. It's like, well, they figured out that they had feathers, dude. I don't know what to tell you.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, two or so years ago. Yeah. I remember that being a huge uproar. Like for some reason that became like for about a month, like a big culture war argument. It just, it's again, this ridiculous stuff where, uh, yeah, again, yeah. It's, it shows how you know, unpopular scientific advances are going to trigger responses, you know, not based on, uh, any kind of competing scientific view, but just becomes kind of you know, like a, a political cultural signifier. Like, you know, if you believe that, you know, uh, uh, you know, Dino, if you reject dinosaurs having feathers, you know it's, it's kind of the same thing of a uh, you know throwing out. Oh, I'm open to the flat Earth. I, you know, it's not necessarily something you fully believe in or even maybe even care about on its own. But again, just right, shows that right. you're of a certain uh, you know persuasion, yes, certain signifier. you fellow traveler. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Traveler. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're willing to throw the idea out there. So I've I've had you here for a long time now, and I it's getting late. We're on the East Coast, so I'll I'll let you get going. But so the book is you're a work in progress now. Obviously, you you signed the deal. You said like late twenty five, early twenty six, maybe. Yeah, so it's when a, you think you'll have it. The manuscript in, in the, in
2: the is due. Manuscript is due end of May of twenty twenty five. It may be in earlier. We'll see. But yeah, my, my guess by. Hopefully by late 2025, early 26, it should be out. Uh, it's, yeah. it'll be around 120,000 words in length. So wow. a, a nice meaty, nice meaty text uh, to sink your teeth into. So uh, hopefully it'll, uh, you know, be, be wor- I'll, I'll say it definitely will be worth the wait. You know, this has been, again, something I've been working on in some form since 2019. So, uh, you know, slowly bits and pieces, but, oh, this will be coming out. And, uh, uh, I, I'm I'm very interested in uh, the reception to it. I hope I, my my dream is that some flat earthers will read this. I would love to have some conversations uh, with them, with uh, yeah. you know, discussing the yeah. receptions with them. So that that that's my goal. You know, maybe go to a flat earth conference and you know set up a table and sell a few copies there. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'd be interested that, in that the reaction. So we'll, we'll we'll see what flat earth conferences are available at the time, but uh, yeah, so. Uh, I will be I'm, I'm I will excited. be your
1: roadie for that, dude. You just uh, let absolutely. me know. I'll be I'll your entry you up on into that. the <laughs> <laughs> into the world of the flat earthers. It's a uh, yeah. Present. Will you be covering in the book now? Will you touch on the modern era at all?
2: I I will. You know, it's only going. It's going to be about one chapter. It's going to. I have yeah, an idea for an chapter. approach <laughs> of it, but yeah. But but uh, I you know, I am again. We we haven't talked about it much this, but there's some modern ish developments in the Muslim world in particular, and. Uh, yeah, I've yeah. been interested in charting some of that. There is a, uh, uh, I believe, is a Moroccan researcher, uh, Chafik Greiger at, a, uh, I forget the name, uh, I think it's Mohammed II University in Morocco, where he has been doing a lot of research on the current flat earth movement on Arab language, social media. So that's something that's completely outside of my, my field of expertise. But from my understanding from talking with him is there's an entire, completely, at the same time, but a completely parallel like, Arab language, uh, like, specifically Sunni Muslim extremist, uh, like, Flat Earth movement that's been kind wow. of developing as well. But, again, it's kind of interesting that you have, you know, in Very the West, this English language yeah. Flat Earth. You have an yeah. Arab language. I know in Brazil, there's a very strong, oh, Bra- uh, flat Earth yeah, yeah. very big. And so I'm, I'm touching into a few of those aspects as well. So we are bringing it up to the present day uh, nice. uh, again. It's yeah, I think I mean, I think I, I you obviously, you days. know, I'm
1: looking forward to this. I, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I, 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 I promise I I'll get you a copy once this, it's but... out for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, if it, if we'll we'll go to we'll go to one of the flat Earth events, and uh, I would set I up think a table. That's for sure. That, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You'd be interested. They're they're an interesting uh, they're an interesting group of people. I'd be interested in revisiting them for sure to see. I how I, I definitely doing. want to. It's we didn't necessarily get into this, but it's uh it's it's worth mentioning because shit, we're the two flat Earth guys at this point. Right? So <laughs> the I think we've talked about this in the past, but there was a really like unfortunate turn of events with the flat earth people with regards to the pandemic. I think we have talked, we talked about this, uh, you know, in chatting online. It's like, as one might imagine, the flat earthers were not big fans of the pandemic and in turn the, also the vaccines. And, uh, so it, it, so, so some of them fucking died and two, two of the most, two of the super prominent ones. I don't, my apologies. I don't have their names in front of me right now, but two really prominent flat earthers died of uh, of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob, Rob something, Rob with an S something. Yeah and, yeah. and the guy in in the flat earth movie who who did the experiment. So, uh, again, I Noble that Noble was his name. So, so but they both passed away from. From COVID, from what I understand. And then a third one was, like, super anti-lockdowns in in Canada. And he was, like, right. going to be on trial. And then he passed away under... circum. I'll just leave it up to you folks to Google that. Yeah. Uh, you know, circumstances not COVID-related, but sort of under the milieu of, like, look, dude, you can't be anti-vaccine and then just fucking do all kinds of other shit. So, right, like, yeah. that was kind of... That was the... <laughs> the paradox of that one where it's like, wait a minute, what? I thought you were like, this doesn't make sense. But anyway, so yeah, it's been a weird, unfortunate time for the flat earthers. And so I'd be interested in revisiting them and seeing what, uh, what they've been up to in the last like five or six years by the time we, uh, get a chance to see them. But until then, it's been great getting, you know, finding out what you've been up to, dude. This is, yeah, I, as I said, when we started the show, I was like, if people could see my notes, I just have your your name, <laughs> Megalodon, <the laughs> Betty Barney Hill article, Flat Earth book, and and, uh, and pretty much that's it. Like, now I didn't really come into this with any questions because I had a feeling we were just going to have a conversation, and that's what we did. This was awesome, man. This was great, um, I, really, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It it It, it, it sparked a lot of new ideas and sort of avenues and and like <laughs> i'm gonna have to where i'm just <laughs> thinking to myself now like maybe i should talk to someone who who's a proponent of the of the phantom calendar thing or that would be or, yeah, I, I would yeah.
2: definitely tune in on that one for sure <laughs> yeah
1: yeah or even like you were saying the phantom cosmonauts and you know, maybe i could find someone who talked about that or or let's revisit uh some of these other wacky conspiracy theories and i hadn't thought about a lot of this stuff uh so we sat down and talked tonight. So it's been a lot of fun and and, and sort of uh, a wealth of food for thought. So I think uh, I think a lot of the listeners will journey down some of those paths looking at this weird stuff too. And I, I really enjoyed it, man. And obviously, you're going to be back on the show uh, probably before the book comes out, but definitely uh, when the book comes out because we're going to do an in depth deep dive on that. And obviously, I, I really I can't wait to get my hands on it because uh, I'm. Uh, I'm a friend of the flat Earth. That's as far as I'll go. But I'm a friend yeah. of the flat Earth for sure. I, I, it's uh, Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'll, I'll co-sign. Yeah, I'm a friend of the a friend of the flat Earth. They uh, uh what's the term? A uh, critical ally or critical support to the flat Earth. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, man, thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. And uh, and and obviously, you know this, man. You reach out whenever you need anything. Uh, you know, I'm certainly. I'm humbled and also troubled (laughs) that you call me a (laughs) flat earth
2: expert. Wear wear the badge with pride. But yeah, absolutely I will. (laughs)